Hello and welcome to episode 206 of the Crick and Crowbar. It is the something, the 13th <laughs> of September. I didn't look at the date. 2017, my name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Philippa War. Hello. Tom Senior. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and Tom Francis. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> but can you tell which is which? <laughs> How is everybody on this rainy, rainy evening? More specifically, Tom Francis. How are you? <laughs> I'm quite tired. Big news. Yeah. Um, heating the show is coming out on the 21st, which is at time of recording a week and a day away. Mm. Um, and when you listen to it, less than that. Yeah. <laughs> One day, less than a week. <laughs> it'll be six days away by the time you listen to this. If you listen to it on Friday, the 15th of September, if you do not do that, it'll be a different number of days away or <laughs> it will have already happened. It's a terrifying thing, actually. Uh, deciding on a release date because uh, I don't announce them until I until the game's basically done because you just don't know until it's done um, and that means that the actual moment that you do it is kind of uh, you have to realize that it's a decision you make not a, a piece of information you learn <laughs> like you don't look at the game and, and discover oh it'll be out on this date you have to just decide it's going to be out on this date and then everything else has to sh like shrink or expand to fit that would you um, prefer it if game ideas had a due date no like, <laughs> human children <laughs> so, like, to some extent uh, that's called having a publisher <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the um uh and that would have been a nightmare with heat signature i did the um stuff for the special edition uh, a little while back which includes videos of me playing early prototypes uh from throughout its development going all the way back to like 2013 um and uh it's just astonishing <laughs> how many of them there are i had to sort through like 2500 versions of the game to find to pick out eight that were interesting um and then play those and just seeing how it just went back and forth and back and forth and kept changing what it is and how it works and um the basic question of like uh what is the context for your missions your missions were pretty they followed a pretty straightforward development from you know a simple version of what they are now to to what they are now um but why you're doing them and what happens after you complete one and how that ties into anything else just changed like 25 times completely um, to the point where in some cases I actually went backwards. Like um, I did a missions listing board and then I changed my mind and decided all the missions should be out in the world and you should just bump into them as you fly around. And then I changed my mind back and did a missions listing board again. <laughs> Given that, I mean, I imagine obviously a lot of people listening to this podcast will know that you've been working on Heat Signature for basically the entire life of this podcast <laughs> yeah it was pretty similar timing so um but you know people might not have you know played it in its most recent uh beta iteration or anything like that so you could you could tell people what he actually is now <laughs> people wow. have trailers and things um it is uh a game about breaking into spaceships making terrible mistakes and thinking of clever ways out of them um you are flying around in a tiny little pod that has no weapons and all it can do is dock with the airlocks of other bigger randomly generated ships um, unnoticed. And once you do that, you get to walk around inside their corridors and sneak past their crew and beat up their crew and steal their loot. And uh, you're usually there to do some kind of mission like assassinate somebody or hijack the whole ship or um, rescue someone or kill someone. Um, and once you've done that... You can either just get out or you can hijack the whole ship, even if you weren't 
uh, being hired to do that and go back to a space station and you get paid um, and that gets you closer to uh, A, liberating more space stations. You only start with one and then you, you unlock new technologies and shops by liberating more space stations. Uh, and B, getting paid gets you closer to being able to afford the intel you need to complete your personal mission. And every character is randomly generated and they have a randomly generated personal mission, which would be something like rescue my brother from the glitches or um, uh, kill the sovereign officer who murdered my son. Um, and that's a kind of climactic heist that is going to be way harder than the other missions um, mm-hmm. and will take a long time to work towards. Um, that's been an interesting thing because uh i've tried to be very accepting of different um uh, basically just provide a very wide range of difficulties so the missions listing board always goes from easy to all the way up to mistake um so there are seven difficulty levels um and the easy is really really easy and mistake is really really hard so uh, in theory there should be no one who can't do an easy mission and very few people who can do a mistake mission without having to first go out and get specialized equipment and stuff but for the personal mission, it kind of needs to be a sort of max difficulty one, pretty much. Mm. Um, and that prevents an interesting problem because the people who aren't who are playing the easier stuff have a bigger shock when they go for one of those. Um, but doing that is just purely for your own satisfaction. It doesn't actually change anything about the galaxy. Um, uh, you don't have to do those at all. Mm. They're just there as a kind of, this is what this character wants to do if you ever get to the point where you feel powerful enough to do this, you can do it. And uh, all it really does is um, give you something to aim towards. And once you've done it, your character is kind of done. You can continue playing with them if you like, but they have no other personal goal and they have the option to retire. Um, And in fact, now if you do retire, when you complete your personal goal, you get to sort of hang up one of your weapons and pass it on. And then other characters can find it, including uh, your future characters, but also your Steam friends can find Hmm. your items um if you've passed them on and you get to name them and stuff when i was playing the beta i found a lot of your stuff is that because <laughs> we're steam friends or is it because you uh, are the man from the game no that's, that's because we're steam friends um and actually uh john roberts uh had an interesting idea um the other day which was we should uh in some way mark those out as special like the ones that that belong to us and then mm. track them and see how far they get, you know. Because if, <laughs> if you find my weapon and you then retire and, and you choose to pass that one on, then someone else will find it. And huh. That's a good idea. Like a virus. But yeah. It's a <laughs> An heirloom virus. <laughs> That's really exciting. I don't feel like we've 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 rested enough on the point that you've you finished your game. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. It also, like, it's a really big, big thing to have a date because, you know, it's like locked in on Steam and everything because i've suddenly moved from the group of there's almost like a little support group of um uh we developers who've been working on a thing for more than three years <laughs> like um uh you know there are a number of these uh games that just seem to go on forever and there's a, a very a strong line and we all know this between the ones that never come out <laughs> the ones that do eventually come out and uh you know hang together okay and don't aren't a total disaster you know the line between i mean i want to say what's like because junior Con forever eventually came out so what's the what's the biggest like vaporware game that never did come out of half Life three i guess but. <laughs> yeah it's, it's half Life three tom <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no in terms of didn't come out at all rather than came out and was fine or came out and was bad yeah. but i i mean half Life three still could come out <laughs> whereas uh, i feel like there are other high profile ones that are just is over now like te- team of disbanded and mm. 
Maybe not. Maybe everything comes back eventually. Yeah, I think the recent era, of, I think people might have said that for like Age of Empires a while ago, but that's been announced now. That's happening. Yeah, like, things get rebooted now, don't they? And even stuff like, remember um, XCOM The Bureau? That was eventually oh, yeah. related to something, wasn't it? But that was basically vaporware before they picked up those assets and decided mm. to wrangle rang them into something. Yeah. Anyway, it's nice not to, be, to not be that. <laughs> Titan, maybe? Blizzard's Titan? Oh, yeah. That was oh, something yeah. they gave, kind of gave up on. And obviously, it came out in our form, but it definitely was yeah. like, mm. we've done something different with this idea that we've been struggling with for ages and ages and ages. Yeah. Do you get resented? Like how when people finish their thesis and everyone else is still, <laughs> you know, plugging away at it, they're like, I'm really pleased for you, but through gritted teeth and like <laughs> never speaking to you again. <laughs> um, if they, well, it hasn't happened yet, so I don't know. But um, uh, I did have a friend, I think I won't name him just in case he didn't want this to be um, the kind of thing that I tell other people, but um, uh, who is a, uh, a more established game developer who... Um, uh, about two years ago when i was uh, at gdc i was really going through a, a tough time with each signature really uh, just been working out so hard and I, had, I still was not close to being done and i was starting to get daunted by it and so i just I was talking to friends out there and saying you know i think i'm going to take a break for a little while um which i did and uh he said you know i like you a lot more now that you're struggling with this <laughs> it's really annoying when you just like the first one just went so well <laughs> I suppose, yeah, this is the first game you've done as it as your full-time job. Yep. Which is kind of kind of nuts, because, hang on, did this take the same time as same amount of time as Gunpoint? Longer. Longer, <laughs> longer in calendar years, and also it was full-time, not part-time, so yeah. hugely longer in actual man hours. <laughs> huh. I have no further observation there. It's just... It just if, don't, if you're making a game, don't mess with controls, structure, like metagame sort of strategy layer, um, and cameras. Those are the three things that if you're going to do anything experimental with those, that needs to be the only new thing about your game and everything else needs to be completely derivative and straightforward. And you need to have sort of like a prototype that shows the way you're going to do it fundamentally works for everybody you, you test it with. Because all three of those things, if you change from convention, even slightly, people fucking hate it. And um, it leads to all kinds of technical and interaction problems and usability problems that you can't foresee and they fight each other. <laughs> and so... Uh, on all three of those things i either had to just walk back my what i was going to do or uh spend years getting it right so the camera was years getting it right structure it was years getting it right and controls i just backed off and <laughs> went back went, went to convention because it's going to be click to move like inside the ship mm. you just click where you wanted to go mm. uh, which i thought would be more accessible and i was profoundly wrong <laughs> <laughs> what happens now like are you are you looking forward to this is it terrifying yeah I will you wait. take a holiday <laughs> um yeah i've been thinking about maybe just going to like a nice hot place on my own for like a week uh you know just for a short break where i don't do anything um except I refresh steam except you will come figures. back with a game idea guarantee, guarantee. yeah that's the, the other thing is um uh the thing you know all the ticking clocks going on inside me the exhaustion one is not nearly so strong as the desperation to start something new <laughs> like i'm always having ideas and i'm very strict about it i don't start new things um except for morph blade which was that was the break i was talking about when i was burnt out on heat signature what floating so, point uh floating point was four mm. heat signature i think heat signature existed but it was that was back when i was working on that and the heist game and then the heist game mm. became floating point and that was kind of uh i was in intentionally in a mode where i had lots of different things going on and still deciding what to focus on um but yeah in general i don't start new things because it can be poison to the the thing that you need to finish that's um, how you get vaporware. Yep. And so now I really have loads of things I really want to start. 
That's right, though. Congratulations, Tom. Yeah. I feel like yeah. we should clap or something. <laughs> well, it hasn't podcast happened yet, so. <laughs> well, I'm okay. my wine, so I'm just going to... I was about to say, go. clapping's bad podcast etiquette. Hitting a microphone with a wine glass. <laughs> <laughs> I could shout again. Not again. Right. Pitt was shouting earlier. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's the only news that matters this week, as far as I'm concerned, gaming-wise. Well, I, I did find the Eve story very interesting. Oh, yeah, speaking of space station heists. Mm. There you go. Yeah. There's a segue and a half. Um... Unless you wanted to mention uh, Heatsig's launch week things, incidentally. I don't know if that's worth mentioning while they're timely. Um, yeah, I guess so. Uh, basically, um, if you play in launch week, there is a ship going through the galaxy that has a unique weapon on it called the Everything Gun. Um, and if you steal that, um, you can use it. And also you'll continue to find it as a random drop in future. Um, and uh, that is a gun that teleports nearby items into its barrel and fires them out. So you just click once and it just immediately uh shoots all the nearby things like wrenches and swords and other guns uh out in a kind of shotgun spread um and so it's a bit like the gravity gun but with less work <laughs> you don't need to pick things up first it just automatically fires them out um and what it fires is up to you you can leave things lying around um and then also we are going to make the trading cards about players so we're looking for people to send us um like gifs and short clips of cool things they did in the game and the most interesting ones We'll um, uh, name a trading card after that person and make them the kind of the legends of heat signatures hmm. canon. Hmm. The lords of heat. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's what my mum was saying. <laughs> Rad. Sorry. Yeah. So the Eve thing, which I don't know. Someone's going to have to explain. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, a giant, incredibly valuable space station was um, stolen by a defector. Um, who, I don't know the name of the alliance that lost it, um, but the alliance that the guy defected to was the Goon Swarm, which is the, mm. uh, the infamous... Traditional <laughs> villains of yep. um, online. Who, I've missed a chapter in this, because apparently they, they had a fall from grace. They were sort of t- pushed out by a, a consortium of banks and casinos. <laughs> <laughs> I love Eve. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> I didn't get all the way through reading that, because then I remembered I had to make game to make. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, apparently it was like sort of, I think like Chinese casinos or something came in and uh, <laughs> wow. muscled into Eve and, and just got really serious about it in a way that sort of picked apart the Goon Swarm. And then uh, that's over now and the Goon Swarm are back in, in strength. And uh, their latest coup was to pay someone who works for one of their rivals um, a vast amount of money to flip to their side. And that guy was already dissatisfied with... Um, uh, with his alliance and he had i guess the keys to this station and it's sort of like it's a station that has all uh people's stuff in it like, you know loads of ships and uh and valuable things um i i don't remember the the value in isk but if i said it it probably wouldn't mean anything to anyone who doesn't mm. already know this story so um uh i assume it's a lot of money isn't it millions millions yeah uh billions i think uh in isk mm. but uh the most important part of the story is that they then used uh, the projected uh, warp inhibitor bubbles in space, which are giant sort of fields in which you can't use warp engines. And because they're strategically important, you can see them from a very long away. Way away. And they use those to spell out LOL above the station. <laughs> <laughs> That's the screenshot that I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> can they, like... Can it very slowly fly away? Like what? Like, <laughs> what does stealing a space station look uh, like? No, I think it's just ownership. I think it stays right. where it is, mm. and it just flipped. Um, <laughs> and I think this is the first time it's happened. I think that this is not like just a space station. I think it's 
I don't I don't know Eve well enough to to say confidently, but it sounded to me like it's the station equivalent of those titans. You know, when there was a, mm. uh, a they introduced a ship type that took a whole took a village to build, basically. Um, <laughs> as, as Hillary Clinton famously wrote, <laughs> <laughs> it takes a village to build, to build a, build a titan. titan, a titan classroom <laughs> <or> ship. <laughs> uh, um, but yes, it feels like Eve is constantly the story of like, there's a new massive thing in the game. And uh, six months later, now somebody's stolen it. <laughs> Somebody stole the thing and wrote LOL in Sky. <laughs> Be an ever bigger thing. Are we planets next? Or, yeah. you know, solar systems? Or Actually, that's already happened. It's nice that it's still generating these stories, though. Like, mm. part of me expects it to sort of just degenerate into something that doesn't work anymore and where no one trusts anybody and so there are no alliances and this stuff can't happen because this this stuff requires like a certain amount of civilization <laughs> it needs mm. enough people to believe there's um there's trust and uh, loyalty um but also it needs people who uh have no loyalty uh to make these spectacular uh terrible moments I think it's this, it's interesting, like, it's, it's security system creates this tension between sort of reliability and risk and reward out in the kind of wilderness of Nullsec that kind of naturally kind of creates that drama, I think. It's really elegant, mm. kind of the way it's, way it's divided up. It's something that we've looked at or are looking at a lot for Hackmud, because you know, Hackmud's mm. a very different game. But it's got a similar sort of security zone system. It has, well, it has a security zone system for how secure a script is. But that's something that will hopefully, I'm not going to speak too much, but like be reflected in the structure of the game in the future as well, right. because it's inter- it, it helps people understand like what danger looks like. And in a text-based <laughs> game, that's quite hard to express. I mean, and to be honest, even in a space-based game, it's hard to express because telling someone this nebula is dangerous, this nebula mm-hmm. isn't, is not something that's not as immediately visible as it would be in a different game. Obviously, it's harder in text. But yeah, I think... Eve is kind of hit on. It's also managed, I think, probably to distill distill down to like the group of players at its core, whose interest in the game is keeping that kind of drama going over time. Like, I think people would like to win, but a lot of those players are now like directly in contact with CCP as well. So CCP are essentially in a position where they can probably like dungeon master an MMO for about twenty people, who through the network of alliances and the the players whose lives they kind of interact with Mm. end up having this huge story about hundreds of thousands of players or tens of thousands of players but it's kind of an interesting sort of but there's also model. an in-game like cult of celebrity mm. and like there are there are people who are more than happy to be the pantomime villains of the scene and so you know they will always be keen to stir up trouble or to to at least have the next caper you mm. know because that's you know what what they do that's their role in the game right and yeah yeah what they have sort of carved out for themselves as a niche i enjoy the fact it's kind of libertarian frontier wilderness where there is also a god in the form of a team of developers that can mm. actually step in at any given point and kind of stop, stop things that from happening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um that they're the funniest moments in even online to me where the developers actually have to say stop this now <laughs> it's gone too far yeah that's what i mean it's like like yeah there is a god but there's also like a gm basically yeah like sure. i think that's an interesting way of thinking about live games and that kind of thing is is when they're it's and it's it's a huge benefit of it being ultimately a single shard game appreciate there's a there's a chinese Mm. server but that's for sort of legal reasons and for sort of international policy reasons rather than i think if they could they would just have one version of eve and it's definitely a real um real benefit of that is yeah they can ultimately kind of just tell one story even though there are tens of thousands of people kind of encountering it from Mm. that many different angles 
But yeah, I'm going to FanFest for the first time this year, mm. which is in Vegas this year, which is kind of nuts. Um, From what I remember, it's a big event of really just sort of interesting conversations about things that I knew nothing about and frantic cheering that absolutely mystified me. And I play MOBAs. That's the two of my favourite things. <laughs> <laughs> and spaceships. You will be in your element. Oh, man. You I'm might gonna, cry. The thing is, and I say this now, so this is early October, so I've got a few weeks of pods away before I come back and tell everyone. And I will say this. I'm, I'm going to say, start playing Eve again. Yep, that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, and I can see it coming like a train. All um, journalists. It's not going to last. It's like going to BlizzCon. Everyone goes to BlizzCon, comes back, plays WoW again for a week, and yeah. then goes, what What am I doing? It's the magic of... Actually, you know, in a nice way, it's the magic of being in a room where that many people love a thing. Is yeah. It kind of rubs off on you. It's not just I've been marketed to. It's not as cynical as that. It is genuinely, you go to these places and you see the fans and like, oh my God, this is their favorite thing in the world. I want to be them. Hmm. And then you get home and it's like... Mm. I had a really nice conversation with a guy who runs one of the... You know, there's like Eve University or whatever that mm. thing is. That oh, yeah. like teaches I was a member of Eve University for a long time. Like, it's just really quite sweet. And it's kind of the opposite of what happens in Nullsec. <laughs> and I... Ca- I had such a nice conversation with him that I came home and I wanted to start playing Eve just to not let him down. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, what am I doing? I'm so bad at all things that this requires. You've got to justify that scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, my scholarship bucks. <laughs> I got into Eve University on a Dota scholarship. <laughs> but no one really respects my right to be there. No. I'm <laughs> just a ringer. <laughs> I actually do want to go back to World of Warcraft, <laughs> which you mentioned just now. Like, I, I keep, I think because I haven't had a lot of time to, like, like not continuous time to sink into a game, now I keep fantasizing about playing, like, really rich, deep, life-destroying games. Uh, like, wow. Destiny, Destiny 2. <laughs> Destiny. Yeah, I've, I've started, actually. Um, but I remember uh, I was thinking about starting a new character in, in WoW and what that would be like, and... Um, because I don't want to like join a guild or anything and uh, get deeply into it. I just want to like experience that world again and just go around and see how it's changed and um, do a couple of satisfying quests and uh, and stuff. And my last experience of doing that was um, uh, on a sick day from PC Gamer. <laughs> I generally was ill and I'd stayed home because I was ill. But there's, there's sort of like this fiction that you can't play games when you're ill, like you're not supposed to. But you clearly can. Like it's a great thing to play when you're ill. It's totally the antidote to it. But I also felt bad about, I didn't want people at work to like see me log in. And on Blizzard, you can't hide, your, you can't like appear offline or go mm. invisible or anything. At least I don't, back then you can, I don't know if you can now. You need uh, to block just... all of your friends. <laughs> so I created a, a new uh, like free trial account, <laughs> played on a different <laughs> server as a mage. And just there's a, there's a little mage somewhere now that um, I played for one day. And uh, it was lovely. I'd never played an Alliance character before and all their areas are so nice. They're just mm. so pretty mm. and sunny and... Um, idyllic <laughs> and also mages are fucking badasses mm. just can cope with anything yeah i get the i get the wow thing every now and then but it's just been far too long and there's far too much and it's and it's too old and i'm too old and <laughs> i'm far too here <laughs> yeah indeed um destiny that's a different method god actually um uh had a taxi driver the other day um who got on my games and um yeah just Explain to me how World of Warcraft destroyed his life, destroyed his marriage. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, it's one of the only, yeah, certainly it's one of the only games I've seen actively like harm somebody's happiness. Mm. I don't think that's on the game. I think it's on its addictive, you know, 
any sufficiently addictive game could do that, I think. But at the same yeah. time, I've seen it in real time happening to a friend. Yeah, that's a case where it does feel like it's not cynically designed to make that happen because apart from anything else it doesn't really benefit blizzard for that to happen no. um they want you to casually play it for a very long period of time because they make money every month <laughs> not from the sheer hours you pump into it mm. um and so for them it's better if you don't burn out quickly um but yeah there is inevitably i think like trying to make it engaging and fun overlaps with making it addictive and mm. to a certain personality type that could be fatal yeah uh, have you played Guild Wars 2, Tom? Yeah. That's um, worth a revisit. A few expansions yeah. have been added now. New areas mm. and stuff. I, I can't really remember to. why I stopped. I was really enjoying it at the time. Yeah. Well, like, Guild Wars, and, Guild Wars 2 specifically and sort of Destiny are kind of alike in my brain now. I think it's the same thing I like about both. They're very different games, but it's the yeah. same things that I like about it's both. Much. Like, mm. I loved Guild Wars 2. I was really in, in love with it, I think, as a piece of design. And coming back to Destiny 2 in the last couple of weeks... Uh, and I promise this time I definitely am not going to wang on about it for 20 minutes. Um, it did have that same thing of like, I think, well, I think I tweeted this, but the thing that made me realize is that like, I get the sort of the things that are normally like, or in this podcast that we normally get excited about design wise tend to be things like, you know, emergent game systems or, or immersive sims, if that's the word you want to use, or, or like roguelikes and things like that. But I definitely have a part of my brain that it just loves really nicely designed social games. Like, Whenever I kind of realize that I've just entered a game, clicked a few things, and I've entered a, a social space, and I'm having an adventure with other players, and they're there, and they're enhancing my experience, but I haven't really asked for it, and it's just happening around me, and yeah. it's kind of cool. That that kind of, like, is its own school of game design, on far more on the kind of games-as-service side of things that I really love. And when when that magic trick is pulled off successfully, as it is in, in both Guild Wars 2 and Destiny 2, I think, to a very high standard it is proper like a proper kind of like mm. this is rad like i'm having an adventure and it it means something that this is multiplayer like it's not just co-op optional i'll never touch this but like this is better because i was doing a thing and then a man came over a cliff on a space bike and jumped <laughs> off and then drew a flaming gun and this happened and you know what i mean that kind of and then and then um you have to tell the stories in that voice <laughs> yeah you have to yeah there's a little sort of mad kind of register but yeah that kind of um, any any social multiplayer game that's capable of kind of having those sort of moments of, of spectacle which I guess are kind of the multiplayer equivalent of the Far Cry and then a bear came along and then this happened <laughs> mm. like um, yeah it's, it's it's full of them that's the that's the thing I, I almost posted this in, in chat on but if I ever if I was going to ever sell Destiny 2 to you it would be literally it's got more than ever instances where two completely asymmetric factions of AI fight each other and the players are also there <laughs> which is <laughs> yeah yeah, I'm not going to wang on about it for 20 minutes. I'm going to shush now. <laughs> Shushing. Um, Pip? Yes? What have you been playing? Oh, well. Uh, uh, so, <laughs> I've been playing two things. One is big and one is small. The small thing is fuel. Oh, great. Which will be in early access by the time this podcast How do you spell that for the benefit out? of me? F-U-G-L. F-U-G-L. Mm, yes. What are we going against G-L? <laughs> it's a perfectly viable alternative to direct action. <laughs> well, somebody, Damn. somebody in the comments last time I wrote about it pointed out that it's one letter away from Fugly. And, uh, and the developer acknowledged that this to be the case, but that they ultimately decided to stick with the name. <laughs> um, yeah, like, uh, that is a, um, a voxel-based generated landscape that you swoop through as a bird. 
and in flying close to other birds or other creatures um you take on their characteristics you can still fly so it's kind of like you become a flying monkey or you become a flying bird version of a deer or a goat Mm. or a bear or a crab that kind of stuff which is kind of cool um i think my favorite is the duck um yeah <laughs> like a duck that can a fly flying duck. <laughs> yes um, what are those do those creatures look weird with wings like a monkey with wings um mostly i would say they don't particularly it's more that i think often you are you maybe can't tell that they aren't a bird exactly if you see what i mean <laughs> so when i landed uh, well mm, i crashed into the side of a cliff and it was sufficiently near a deer that was on said <laughs> sort of <laughs> precipice that um that i turned into uh, a flying version of that and, <laughs> um and and to be honest you probably wouldn't have known that if i hadn't had the camera angled so that i could see the face because it was like hmm. it had a nose that was deer like and things like <laughs> was that it bright or... red <sighs> no um so there's things like that or if you if you go too near it too near if you go near to like a mountain goat you, your um like avatar takes on like these horns you know things like okay, that so it's like really. aspects of the animal rather so than it's aspects of the animal and um the coloring mm. um particularly and if it's in the case of a bird you become sort of smaller or longer or your flat are you know <laughs> flaps. faster or... your flaps are faster <laughs> get a greater flap spam oh, oh as in uh, i was sure if you're referring to wings or yeah, the, the action of flapping of the wings oh i see you're the action either of your quicker flaps. Or, yeah. or slower baser because when you're a flamingo you're you you are a flamingo rather than just you know a flamingo-esque hummingbird or something you know? <laughs> this makes complete sense but it's also nonsense yeah. right good sure it's got quite a the art style is big, chunky voxels, right? And so it's yeah. quite uh, non-specific, perhaps, on the um, fine details. So, yeah, although they managed to be really expressive. Mm. I can't remember the artist's name, but I linked in one of the articles to uh, his... Jason Fugel. <laughs> to his um, his cartridge, which is where he has, like, a, you know kind of a portfolio and there's a load of different animals and they you know like you get a lot of expressiveness of that animal in those gifts and in those um in those screenshots and things which is really cool um i think it can be hard to tell from far away like i couldn't always tell especially with the smaller animals on land whether i was heading towards like a coconut crab or a monkey or you know anything of of that ilk and occasionally when i'd landed or when i'd passed close to something that i hadn't quite registered sometimes the characteristics didn't tell me exactly what i'd come too close to if you see what i mean Mm. so there was one point where i was like was that a crab or a beetle or you know because i had two um sort of um protuberances from my avatar's head that could have been like stag beetle horns or they could have been like crab claws or you know things like that so that was kind of interesting 
in that but it, it doesn't really impact the game it's not like you're trying to collect all of these things it's more that you'll see one in the environment and decide oh i'll be one of those for a while that's quite cool um the thing is, it's in early access, and I think it will be. They suggested like a six months ish frame for that, but obviously, you know, could be longer, could be shorter. Don't know. Um, but so there are a few things that I would say are important to note, which is stuff like because the the main point of the game is that it's supposed to be really chill and relaxing, and like you know the the flight element and the um the exploration stuff is the important thing um and so if you go into it at the moment certainly i experienced i experienced a couple of crashes and also things like if you fly into obstacles when you're trying to get too close to you know like a monkey in a tree or something like crash into the tree or whatever um it can be really difficult to take off again because of the way the c controls work. So, or um, I tried to see whether I could take on the characteristics of some of the fish or like dolphins popping out of the water and things. But all that happened was I crashed into the water and then I really struggled to be able to get back up into the air like you'd sort of you'd take off you'd do a few flaps but the swoop I think was the thing that kept catching me on the surface of the water again like as you as you tried to um get momentum to get going so it was things like that and like you know just running into a few other glitches and things I mean obviously it's a work in progress so you'd theoretically know that with early access but i think given that relaxation is such a big part of the game it's maybe a thing that people might want to bear in mind mm. before they pick it up if they were interested um the voxel thing's interesting though because um i remember the developer or one of the people on the development team the lead developer i guess has been quite active in the comments on rps so someone <laughs> was saying that they didn't like the voxel aesthetic um do you say you're shit out of luck <laughs> <laughs> bad <and> news <laughs> <laughs> well he was pointing out that it's um that voxels were really useful because once you have a sense of one of those pieces then the rest of it gives the sense of scale really easily and the sense of speed and of swooping mm. and things like that and given that that was that sense of motion and flow and this bird moving quickly through the air was a thing that was essential to the experience. You, you know, that's why they went with that as well as obviously some other elements. And I really like the, the style of it and how it comes across, but I thought that was an interesting, like, mm. you know, technical point that, yeah, you know, for sure. scale is a lot easier and, you know, you, you get the sense of distance and speed and rate of movement. Hmm. Mm. Hmm. If it's really good, then for a um, strap line, you could do resistance is fugal. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I may steal that yeah. <laughs> on Steam. Or I if they it's... add like a kind of wind pressure based physics s system to the air in the oh, shut up. Wait, where are you going with where air are you resistance? Going with that? For wings, like. Air resistance, you fly. I don't know. <laughs> Birds must contend with air resistance, surely. That's true. That's how flight works. But also, they can manipulate so, it and rely on it. Yeah, but maybe 
that's maybe that renders it. I don't know. It was a bit. I'm <laughs> I sorry. It was going towards a fugal pun. Yeah, like sorry, that was just confusing. Um. Look, let's workshop this, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll Bant this- rejected. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take this offline. Um, don't say that. Shush, no. So that's uh, it. Goes into early access from the 14th of September. So by the time this goes up, it'll be that's tomorrow around or yesterday. Um. There was something else that I was going to say about it, and I have totally forgotten. Oh, on Steam, um, I get the impression that they didn't really think that people would know what Fugal was. So on Steam, it's Fugal hyphen meditative bird game. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> get that SEO. <laughs> meditative bird game, Swindon. Yeah. Meditative bird game, Cheltenham. And the other thing is I'm back on League of Legends. <laughs> That's a big game. The bigger game, yes. Slightly, Why? How? What's that like? So it's because I've been um, trying to catch up with things in advance of Worlds um, because I haven't had as much time uh, to keep up with various bits and pieces and it hasn't been the thing that I've been streaming on my second monitor. So, um, So I started watching it and then I was like, I could play this too. (laughs) And it's that sort of thing where I watch an awful lot. And so I'm familiar with theories. I'm familiar with how you're supposed to do things. I'm familiar with how the top tier of players do things. I don't do those things. (laughs) And so it's, I mean, I play all random or mid most of the time when I do play and I watch the rest of the time and so actual 5v5 is something that i tend not to play like i haven't played it in ages and um it's actually quite daunting and so i've mostly been tooling around in um 5v5 but co-op versus ai (laughs) so it's me and four other people you know probably four other people but um versus five intermediate robots um and that's been kind of interesting because i've just been picking whoever i fancy playing because it's a a less serious mode Mm. as well but like i'm wondering at what point i'll feel able to graduate to um to real people games i'm slipping down because my mic is falling i know um, i thought i'd go with it i thought i'd try and meet it on its, its collapse own collapse into terms. a pip singularity um but yeah it's one of those things where like i've sort of it's been so long since i had to be at the bottom of a moba pile that i've sort of gone <laughs> what do i do so yeah i've just been playing stuff that i fancied and um doing all of that nonsense but yeah like i'm still not sure at what point i'll decide to go over to real 5v5 human games maybe never do maybe this can be the one that stays fun maybe (laughs) i don't yeah maybe (laughs) the thing is i just feel like i'd quite like to have that um sense of what it's like on the because i do have a sense of what it's like on the um on the on the more normal levels away from pro play but i think it's more just that like i don't know i i I just haven't felt the need to play it in a long time Mm. and i do now but because i know so few people you know all of my friends were dota friends right so it's always a case of like okay i'm going to spin the wheel on the lottery of strangers oh no 
So, yeah. And people will flame you in, like, 5v5 versus bots. <laughs> they will rage quit bot matches. <laughs> and you're kind of like, wow, okay. And someone actually said in chat that they were only playing the bot match so that they could get out of Leave Buster queue. And <coughs> then left <laughs> before i was like oh come on <laughs> well, you brought this upon yourself <laughs> so i was like um but yeah so i've been having i've been having an all right time doing that um is and yeah leave buster queue is that like a, a hell you get put in if you leave too many games yeah all right so all the, all the people who leave games have to play together um, with Pip. <laughs> I can't remember. I would need to look into that because I've never been put in that queue, Tom. <laughs> I wouldn't know. <laughs> That's how it works in Dota. You have to mm. play with the other people in your shitty queue. <laughs> the, the shitty, shitty the pool is, of shitty people. Because like, my account is actually relatively low level because that's what happens when you, you understand MOBAs and you do your research, but without, you know, like, because playing the game doesn't make you better at pro play if you see what i mean so um so my main account is actually still not you know super high level or anything and so i'm still sort of being matched slightly wonkily and so i don't actually know who i'm being matched with because i certainly know that when i started playing league um because of my experience playing dota it kind of they have this thing where i think behind the scenes like there are some things in place to try and work out if you're smurfing and so it thought i was smurfing and kept putting me with other people who were who then knew what to do in this specific game even though i only knew the rudiments of mobas because you know mm. whatever and so they would like know their you know baron timings and dragon timings and jungle party and like i would be like level two and people would be flaming me for not knowing the intricacies of the game even though they were all smurfing and i'm like are you kidding me smurfing uh, is using a new account to appear lower level than you are basically mm. yeah 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 and sometimes it's like a fair thing to do or not a fair thing to do but like um in some games uh they won't let you play particular modes with your friends if you are if there's too big of a level discrepancy but mm. if you're trying to like shepherd a newcomer through you know their first few games then you might want to set up a new account and mm. just sort of try and mm. like you know do them a solid which is a decent thing to do i would say or but... if you've taken a sick day from work and you don't want to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, hang on. Were you flaming all of these people for like not <laughs> not being super high level? It's like <laughs> flaming the NPCs. <laughs> I'm going to take this level one wizard to a raid. <laughs> oh, but yes, mm. I've been I've been playing around with that in advance of worlds. So we shall see mm. whether whether I will get any amazing insights against bots that I can then translate into my. <laughs> My coverage of what Faker's up to. <laughs> oh, bot would never do that. <laughs> He's left the game. I know about this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I think a, a few of us have played Tooth and Tail. Mm. That's the name of the game, right? Yep. I get mixed up which animal parts it is. <laughs> it is Tooth and Tail. Um, does anyone remember what it used to be called? Because mm. I remember it changed its name and I, now I cannot remember what it used to be. Don't know. Aww. Uh, it was Woodland Animal Revolution. It was a name that made me think of battleships, uh, and I don't know why. Um, 
But anyway, uh, good job changing the name because they successfully erased the old one. And also, I remember the new one because they um, talked about it and it has a kind of double meaning. Um, uh, I think it almost has three meanings because there's obviously it suggests animals, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's true. And it's about animals. It's an RTS with animal units. Um, And (laughs) Pip's face is completely bizarre at this point. Oh, sorry. I was trying to get out of the way of my falling microphone, but I was also doing my thinking face, which involves having my tongue out and paying attention. That sideways is a strange look. I can appreciate that me paying attention is not something you're used to. (laughs) What is that face that she is doing? Yeah, I've never seen that before. Um... But also apparently in military terms, um, the tooth to tail ratio of a unit is how many military personnel versus, uh, civilian personnel. Hmm. So then, uh, huh. military being the tooth and the civilians being the tail. Um, Trivia. and I think, I don't know if this is intentional, but it just sounds like tooth and nail. Yeah. As in fighting desperately. It also sounds a bit like to nature and red and tooth and claw, which is oh. very appropriate to the theme of the game as well. Which is, so it's a, it's an RTS, um, with a, I really like sort of pixel art style. So it's on an isometric plane, but it's all pixely things. Mm. He said, and sounded like he knows what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> it doesn't. They call that isopixels. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. Pixels. Yeah. It's got like 18 isopixels. Um, that's one of the best things about it. Um, the theme is sort of like, like Bolshevik red wall would be the way I'd describe it, with a little bit of lame is because there's a lot of revolutionaries waving flags. Um, uh, which is, you know... Delacroix. A, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff I like uh, in that. Um, and so the idea is there are different factions of sort of animal people. Well, the animals, basically. Mice and otters and weasels and pigs and rabbits and squirrels and things. Bothingwood. Yeah, yeah, like... Yes, like like a Bolshevik revolution comes to Farthingwood. Um, where, but it's a universe where animals have decided that the best thing to do is to eat each other. And so the kind of, you know, the, the, the capitalist system that's either being fought over or subverted or overthrown or kind of whatever is the tendency for animals to literally drag each other to each other's feast tables and eat them. Like that's what they do. It's pretty grim, actually. Um, and some of the writing and kind of world building is actually kind of nice in how grim it is. Like your farmer units that kind of generate resources back home are pigs that till fields and pigs are basically the only vegetarians left. They still <laughs> eat wheat, but no one else understands that. And the pigs don't have names anymore. They have numbers and they know that they're dead. They're doomed, basically. Apart from the breeder pigs, which are the only ones that remember anything about the past because they're the only ones that live long enough. But it's actually proper, like, dark. In that its, checks in, out, though. Yeah, in its way. <laughs> Um, but, is it um, other factions like divided along species lines? Are they different species? I don't think so. They're divided from political lines, <laughs> right? Obviously. Um, so the, the ones you play in the there's in the... a red, blue, yellow, and green. <laughs> yeah, you play as blue. Is it far red or sort of moderate red? <laughs> <laughs> Purple. Um, but yeah, so you uh, the main thing about it is it was intended to be played with a pad. Like I've been playing it with a with a controller. Mm. Uh, and the way this manifests is, um, you are represented in the game 
um, by you're the, the biggest, you're the general basically, and you wave a flag and all you do is wave a flag because you're literally the cursor. Like one of the notes in the tutorial says, you are the cursor. Like what, what a cursor would do in a normal RTS, you do. And you do it by running around the map in person. So, um, if you want to build something, you run to a square that you control and you cycle to the building you want on Q and E normally and then press spacebar to build it there if you've got enough resources. Um, but if you want to, uh, the, you know, the most basic ways is, is if you hold down the right mouse button, or if you cl- click the right mouse button, you will set a kind of rally point where you're standing for everything in your army. Um, and if you press the left mouse button, you'll set a rally point for only the units you currently have highlighted on just sort of your rotating unit wheel. It's super elegant in terms of how many controls it's managed to pare down the RTS to, mm. you know, uses sort of context sensitive use of the same menu selection to, govern lots of different things i've only sort of gotten four or five missions into the campaign now um but i quite like it actually i think it's, mm. it's kind of I'm, I'm very impressed by how 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 successful it's pared down the rts to a few interactions that take away a lot of the kind of input stress and apm stuff mm. but also i think the the sort of there's quite a lot of of in a, in a good way quite a lot of depth where if you want to play it just in sort of zerging around building lots of things you can do that but there is there are benefits to like micromanaging your units by setting different rally points for different unit types and sort of managing their various sort of rock paper scissors strengths and weaknesses that there's obviously competitive depth there despite it obviously being quite a lot more accessible but i don't know how you guys got on with it relative to that not played it yet i've only seen the trailers and actually it's weird the trailer's quite bad at telling you what it is and in fact mm. the only way i could get at what the game was was to watch like a two and a half hour live stream they put on youtube <laughs> and on, the, on their channel where we sh- the, the first match doesn't even begin until like 20 minutes in <laughs> um so I, I find it very hard to get an impression of what it was actually gonna be like to play i played it very very briefly when it came out whilst drunk <laughs> for like uh 15 minutes or something and um i didn't really get the hang of it i found it weird that um i'm gonna play more and i'll um i'll give it a proper chance um but uh, the first thing that sort of I stuck on was you are like the cursor, except that you have health, like things can shoot you. Mm. And um, that seems to be bad. The whole controller vibrates and stuff. Um, and what I wanted to do was like tell my rocket launcher guys to attack that building. And to do that, I, had, I might be wrong, but I felt like I had to run over to that building and then press the button and then run back. And in doing so, got shot a lot. And it felt like that was a weird disconnect between thing i want to do is just tell them attack that building but mm. i had to do something physical to to communicate that and there was an actual danger to doing the physical thing i was actually punished for the physical part of it so you know that thing you were saying about like if you're going to do one thing different do like one thing differently <laughs> and do nothing else differently it's yeah. a game there's quite a few things differently and i think that's one of the things that's the the weirdest to consider so you do have health you are also the cursor um you have a few different things. So if you run over to a place and press either the left mouse button for a specific unit or right mouse button for all units, you will set a, like a go here order for that place, which also includes kill things that are here. That's implied. Hmm. It's just, it's basically just attack move. It's like the RTS, but every, but it's only got attack move, just as a sort of simplification thing. Then you can run, run away again and that will happen. However, if you want to intensify how much damage you do to a thing, you can hold that button while standing next to the thing you want to kill and you'll wave the flag more intensely, <laughs> which will cause you to do more damage mm. at the cost of the fact that you'll soak up more uh, okay. hits. When you leave combat, I don't know if it's quite, if you're just out of combat for a certain amount of time or if it's when you return to your territory, because the map's quite small, you regenerate health really quickly. 
So it's not like yeah, you're then wounded for ages. You're just like almost back to full health straight away. But there's this sort of like, um, sort of tug of war of like how long you can afford to wave the flag a lot and yeah. then versus having to get out. But dying isn't like game over. If you die, you just have like a, a respawn time, which isn't mega long. Like, but it's obviously, it means that all your units have to go on. It's like the last order you gave until you're back. So if you kill the enemy general, you'll probably win that fight because they can't give orders for a bit. But it's not like, it's not like Supreme Commander. Like, it's, I think sometimes it's tempting to think of it like Supreme Commander where you have like, you are a commander unit where it's not really like you are a sort of disposable, um, you know, um, cursor basically, mm. but the cursor can die like Starcraft. But what <laughs> if someone killed you, your hand <laughs> is, is a, a way of thinking about it. Um, and, um, yeah, and you have some other powers that become more important as well. Like if you hold down R, you burrow into, you dig into the ground and then you can pick any of your windmills, which are basically your bases to reappear at, which means you can fast travel from anywhere on the map back home or to any place you control really quickly. Uh, which again is kind of interesting mechanics adds like a kind of town portal scroll system to the RTS where you don't just get to click on a different area of the mini map to suddenly be controlling there. You have to go there. It, it makes, I don't know. I think there's, there's like quite a lot of interesting design space unlocked by the notion that the cursor is a physical thing on the battlefield that mm. the players can interact with and put at risk and, or try and play safe with and that kind of thing. So yeah, like you learn quickly, like, oh, it's actually okay if I soak up damage for a bit. Like if I success looks like successfully waving the flag really intensely so that all of the enemies die and you survive with two health because that means you've judged it absolutely perfectly um you know failure looks like dying halfway through your flag waving attempt because you misjudged how much stuff they were going to bring to bear that kind of thing so i think it's important that the listeners know that every time you talk about flag waving you do a weird kind of crotch stirring (laughs) gesture i was waving a little flag well i'm sitting opposite you (laughs) I think, I don't know if it was important that they knew that. <laughs> it's important for me. <laughs> Sorry, Tom, you were saying. Uh, that makes more sense. Uh, I didn't know there was any benefit to me being there. Mm. And that sort of justifies it, I think. Good. <laughs> yeah, so that's been, uh, I'm still super early in it, but I'll, I'll definitely keep playing. And it does, it does look great. And I would, I'd re- reassert this. The, the, the theme is really cool. It's nice to see just, it looks, looks original that like you could have done mm. that theme with anything and, you know, and, and not that animal people at war has not been done before, but it's like its commitment to its kind of grim kind of people's revolution thing is, is pretty admirable. I like how feeling... I pared things down because I've never really got on with RTS and mm. I liked that I didn't have as much to worry about. I actually beat Adam when we played it at GDC. Mm. Uh, that might have been because he was also trying to interview the developer at the time, <laughs> but we played twice and I won both of them. I think. That's fine. That's scientifically proven. And then. I feel like that's fine. And I challenged him to a rematch now that we have like copies of it and he wouldn't. So I think that's a default win <laughs> for forever mm. to me. <laughs> Good. Good to know. <laughs> I have a funny feeling it might have been called Armada before, which is a huh. terrible name for it, obviously. Yeah. Hmm. That's, I, I, that rings a bell for me as well. I, I imagine that's why they changed it. <laughs> Maybe it was going to be about, about boats at one point. Mm. Sure isn't now. <laughs> sure ain't about boats. You know what else ain't about it's got, boats? Uh, sorry, it's got a slightly weird... I was surprised by what happens between the levels. You go back to kind of like... A big pub. Yeah. And it's like like kind of an RPG and you walk around and talk to NPCs and stuff and get 
Yeah, there's quite a lot of writing. Like, and the writing's pretty good. Like it's grim. Like I say, because the the person you play in the um in the revolutionary that you play in the campaign, at least at the start, is somebody who's gone to war because the one of the other factions ate his son, and that kind of happens at the start. It starts opens with like, you know, we were proud to bring meat into our family until they ate you, my son. <laughs> <laughs> now people's revolution, lots of flag waving. It's good. Quite, yeah, it's um 15 quid came out yesterday. Could you have some kind of Pyrrhic victory wherein you lose, but you poison yourself so that the side that eats you also dies? That's probably not possible within the context of the game. I would do that. But is a fine... Out of spite. <laughs> a fine bit, yeah. It's, it's the way you GG. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like rage quitting life. <laughs> what, Screwing what? other people over. Hmm. Mm. Yes, that's not possible. I don't think within the game's mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> You're sinking low, Scott. I'm not pandering to this. I'm not going to help it anymore. It's not it's... pandering to raise your microphone. It's pandering to lower yourself it's to its level. You're seeking. literally lowering itself to your level. <laughs> it's attention seeking. How is and it that you always manage to get it. the droopy microphone? Well, certain people lay out the microphones, and I just add my. I can't chair. tell the difference when right. I'm checking them out. Well. And Last week somehow. we only have two, and, <laughs> and yet, still. Mm. amazing. Well, that's obviously an unanswerable mystery. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, noise of Pip shuffling a little further down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tom, we should talk briefly about your XCOM adventures because I know they're ongoing. Yeah, well documented on Twitter. It's been very entertaining. Yep. Uh, I'm playing War of the Chosen, which is the new expansion, and I agree with everything Tom said last time we talked about it, Um, both good and bad. Um, uh, The uh, overworld stuff, the geoscape, um, is uh, just absurdly overwhelming now. I'm actually playing, uh, and I recommend this if anyone has not started yet, um, when you start a campaign, in the options there is... um, an option to increase the length of the avatar project to twice as long. Uh, so the enemy, basically the, the clock that is ticking up, that is the doom clock, you have twice as much breathing room there. Um, and I'm really glad I did that because I, I, the chosen are fucking you up all the time. I've also got the alien hunters DLC installed. Um, and I've got Shen's gift installed. Shen's gift only helps you if you're not actually, um, doing the quests. I, I don't remember actually choosing this, but, um, in this run through, I'm not, I haven't been presented with the Shen's gift missions, but I have all the like, cool items that you can get from it, and they're just really powerful weapons. Uh, the Alien Hunters, though, which I actually hadn't played to any extent before, um, are bosses that show up in certain missions, and they are at least as nasty as the Chosen, perhaps nastier. Um, and so I'm dealing with like three of those and the three Chosen. So almost every mission has some ultra impossible boss on it. Um, and that can just, I don't think, it doesn't seem to me that there's any uh, intelligence or auto-balancing in when they show up. Well, um, I've never had them both in the same thing. Obviously, the Chosen themselves can't overlap, um, and I think the Chosen can't overlap with the alien bosses, alien rulers. Um, but in terms of, like, uh, you... I just had a... Uh, I fought the Chosen Warlock... Um, 
and he showed up at the same time that I aggroed like four chrysalids and the first ever time I fought a gatekeeper, which is the giant robot sphere. Like, All those things happened <laughs> and th that's when the warlock showed up and he summons zombies and makes himself invincible. Yeah. And it was just like worst case scenario. Um, and so it's, it's really volatile. It's just totally random what the difficulty of the mission is going to be. It will just, um, vary from trivially easy to insanely difficult on the, at the drop of a hat. And it won't match up at all to what it says the mission is going to be in terms of difficulty. Um, uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's kind of fun. But the Geoscape nagging is just intolerable at this point. It's got, to the, I was never a big fan of, of that side of the game, the base building and the, um, scanning things and always being interrupted. You're always trying to pick up these resources and it keeps interrupting you. Uh, now it interrupts you four times as often. <laughs> and so you just, you can't get anything done. I'm just trying to pick up this one little pile of resources and been interrupted like five times for different things, nagging me to go away. And each time you've got to quit out of that interface, go into a different interface, do something. And then when you go back, for some reason, it keeps forcing the camera back to the Reaper HQ where you're not even where your ship is. And then you have to manually go back to the, or you can click a button to go back to the ship and then figure out what you're doing. Um, that part is, is now for me just a net negative. I would just, like the game more if it simply wasn't there <laughs> if you just took away all of the base building all of the geoscape and just between each mission i just get to choose what kit to put to give my soldiers and mm. that's it um but the thing i'm really loving well one uh i was not prepared for how huge a feature the poster thing is <laughs> i'm making posters of every mission i ever go on um and the interface for doing that is really good um it's very easy to make really cool looking lineups of your guys um it's really easy to make funny ones. Um, uh, and uh, it's also just, uh, I don't know, it feels like a nice, it's the only part of XCOM that isn't overwhelming and stressful. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a nice break between the, um, you finish a mission on the tactical layer and rather than having to go straight back into the overwhelming, terrifying geoscape base building stuff where at any point you might be making a fatal mistake, um, you get to do some arts play and around crafts. And, yeah, yeah, do some arts and crafts. <laughs> Make some propaganda. Yep. It's dry macaroni night on the Avenger. <laughs> it's also um, enhanced by, um, as usual, I did a sign up on Twitter for people who wanted to be in my squad and I'm uh, picking names from that. So all the people on my team are real people, uh, most of whom I know. Can I be and... on your squad? Sure. Can I be on your squad? <laughs> um, well... So there's a bit of a backlog in terms of uh, yeah, that's fine. 450 people signed up for this. <laughs> um, oh, shit. Do I not get like, I am, benefits yeah, from being right next to you, you right now? <laughs> <laughs> I am cherry-picking people I know because it's just more interesting for me mm. if they're people I know. Mm. Uh, it's funnier if they um, die. <laughs> <laughs> um, and But I have a backlog even of, of people I know. Um but yeah, so that makes it funny to make posters of those and then send those posters to those people on Twitter and say and tell them what they got up to. Um, also, when someone dies, you get to make a memorial poster. And then those posters show up in the levels as well, um, <laughs> which uh, the first time was actually uh, kind of annoying because there are lots of opportunities to make posters. There are... I love making posters, but there are, if anything, too many opportunities to make posters in that every time every soldier gets promoted, uh, you're prompted to make a poster for that. Uh, and I don't usually because I've just made a poster about the mission. I've made a poster about every friendship that forms. <laughs> I've made posters about everyone who died. And then it's like, everyone who got promoted? No, if you got promoted, well done. But I'm not making a poster about you. <laughs> it's like um, you've just discovered university activism. <laughs> 
But if you don't do it, the game automatically does it for you and saves that image. Mm. And then that's also left in the pool with all your real ones for the game to draw on to put in the get levels. And it's quite rare to see them in the levels, so it's quite a nice special thing. And when it's just an auto-generated one, it's like, oh, fuck. Because um, it will be some shitty slogan that's just picked out of... And the colors are terrible. The random generator is really, um, I think, knowingly bad. Um, <laughs> so the first time I saw it, it wasn't that great. But then the next time I saw one was... Um, I had a bizarre situation where I was actually really disappointed because someone died but they died on the first leg of a two-leg mission. And so at the end of the second leg was when we actually had the sort of post-mission um, debrief and stuff. And she just wasn't there. She wasn't um, shown as dead. She wasn't shown as living. She just simply wasn't on that list. And so I never got the chance to make a memorial poster for her. Um, uh, and this was uh, Claudia Lowe, I think is a listener, mm. right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I was quite sad about that. Um, and... Then later, I discovered uh, something had gone wrong with with her death, and um, <laughs> well, I mean, I was being asking her about it. <laughs> <laughs> Mistakes were made, um, uh, and I was being prompted to promote a soldier in my armory, uh, which is unusual because usually when a promotion happens at the end of a mission, you just do it then and there. And when I looked at the list, it was her. Uh, she had a promotion. Uh, she did. I remember her getting promoted the moment she died <laughs> because <laughs> the way she died was to shoot a flamethrower guy at point blank range with a, <laughs> ah, yes. um, and those can blow up. And she got promoted for the kill and then killed by the death. Um, and so, uh, but because she was in the list there, I could access her. And she had this weird sort of blank character sheet where she was a sort of uh, <laughs> oh a, a non-class. Um, there's just like a, a black gap where the icon for her rank should be. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, but uh, importantly, there was a make poster option. So I was able to make a poster of her and I made a poster of her um, that just said, promoted to death <laughs> and, on a black background. And then uh, the first time I saw one of my own posters, it was in, in like an office and it was just that floor to ceiling right next to someone's desk. <laughs> and so it was like a motivational poster. <laughs> Amazing. And it just fitted perfectly. Like this is usually they're, they're being... Uh, the implication is the the resistance have put these posters up to celebrate the um celebrate you guys as heroes but in this case because it was in an office environment it just looked like advent had put this up to scare people <laughs> like, if you work with another guy you just die <laughs> people don't even know that you died <laughs> um, I, I love the XCOM with this system and putting it in the game world and encouraging it so much it's sort of embracing the fact that it's profoundly silly yeah like i've always been it's been not necessarily mm. clear what the sort of intended tone of new XCOM was doesn't totally like cause mm. it takes itself relatively seriously it's obviously cartoony and kind of daft but it's quite action movie in its script and especially in like the chosen introduction sequences that it gets very kind of like you know it's Bomb. something you'd see in a, a like superhero movie or something. yeah but it's not like it's, it's always been cartoony but it's not like it doesn't have jokes in it really Apart from jokes, it's got bring bad with jokes you. in it. <laughs> I think mm, I yeah. assumed but, uh, that yeah, the XCOM franchise was relatively serious because the the games events that I've been to around it were always relatively po-faced. And but, they, sorry. Oh no, no, but always like um, I think as well the fact that it is the type of game that it is, like the mechanics are very sort of for people who take the game seriously. So mm. I think that there's a slight level of making an assumption based on the fact that it is like a a game where you need to pay attention and you need to sort of yeah. plan and you need to mm. have that strategic 
sensibility. It sort of it, it doesn't necessarily make you think this will be a awful fest. But that, that said, though, like the reason people get attached to them, they name characters after their mates, is because people die in spectacularly unlikely ways, and the sort of the systemsiness of it does create slapstick. It does. The cover but... for XCOM Two was an alien face made out of human skulls, <laughs> like a million human skulls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I That's think, what I'm saying. Tonally diverse. <laughs> the thing is, like, the fact that you could do slapstick with it didn't feel like you were necessarily supposed to. Like, you can do stupid things in Dishonored, but that doesn't feel like a silly game, right? No, but I think it was, like, a feature of XCOM that now feels like an actual feature because these players just Well, it feels like seem... they've embraced it, right? Yeah, that's what I mean, I guess. Like, it feels like them embracing the silly side of XCOM. It does have yeah, big you get... silly st- snake men in it. Like, they didn't have to put the snake men from XCOM 1 in, but they did, and they really went, <laughs> they really leaned into it. <laughs> and now there's a, a boss snake, and if you kill a boss snake, you can wear the snake skin <laughs> as a suit, and it's the silliest snake, looking thing you ever snake, seen. Snake! <laughs> it also it feeds into um, uh, one of the core things for X- about XCOM for me, which is just how cool your guys are. Like, mm. once you level them up enough, and you've customised them, and you got attached to them... Uh, these people just are like heroes to you they're just such badasses mm. i've got my favorite is um uh amanda williams who is a templar which is one of the new classes and uh they don't have a main weapon they just have uh, they don't have a main gun they have two sort of lightsabers basically or sort of like um light spikes on their fists and uh they can run up and uh, stab people with them and then even if they don't kill them they get another move to sort of back up and to get to safety but then pretty soon you unlock parry which means you stay where you are and you just the next attack against you won't work mm-hmm. uh, you just block it no matter what it is um, which is awesome um, and then I also these new classes uh, can they have a chance to also be able to pick some skills from the normal skill trees for the other classes Um and she happened to get Blade Storm, which is the oh, ranger no. thing that if anyone comes near you on the enemy turn, you get a free attack against them with your melee weapon. And her melee weapon is awesome to begin with. And then also every time she kills someone, it gets more powerful. And so now she can run in, stab somebody, and then she just stands there right in their face. She's invincible to the next attack. And if they try and get away, she gets a free attack against them. And if anyone else comes near her, she also gets a free attack against them. And it's just incredible. She'll just like shred a whole squad. Yeah, they they sort of break the game, which is brilliant because so do the the bad guys. Like mm. they they both reach a power level, but it feels like they're they're breaking XCOM systems. Though. Yeah, actually, so the alien rulers of the um uh the alien hunter DLC, uh, their crazy thing is that um for every move you do, they get a move, which is just absolutely absurd. Um, and is the that skirmisher turn based things work. No, no, sorry. For every move anyone on your squad takes, they get a move immediately. So while you're managing all oh, six so of your guys, every like single action you, you do. you take a turn and they take a turn. Yeah, it's so in theory... you take a turn within your turn and they do. They And because everyone gets two actions, in theory, they could take 12 turns on your turn. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, and then uh, the highest level, the new skirmisher class gets that. So you can just do that to the enemies. Like every time <laughs> an enemy does anything, you get to take a move. Apparently, um, I think there's something that gives poison or a bleeding effect, and that's really effective against those guys because every time they respond with a move, they take <laughs> the poison damage, and uh, it kills them really quickly. <laughs> that's awesome. 
The other thing... I've got amazing reflexes, but I'm extremely poisoned. <laughs> <laughs> My immune system is fucking terrible. So terrible. Yeah, it makes sense. It'd be like a metabolism so, yeah. so ill right now. Yeah, your circulation system would just be pumping yeah, that's true, through it's your like, veins it's so like quickly. Chris Traeger from Parks and Rec. <laughs> he's <laughs> really he did, healthy, yeah. but because he's so healthy, his body's super sensitive to any um, toxins. <laughs> um, the other thing I really love about it is the new soldier bond system, mm. where um, when... Uh, soldiers soldiers have randomized compatibility with each other and then when they go through things on missions um they can that bond increases um and they're obviously uh, gonna the th- threshold for them to officially form a bond is going to be reached with someone they have high compatibility with usually um and once they form that first level bond they get a thing where uh, one of them can give an action to the other one, so they can spend one of their actions, and in- instead their friend gets it. Um, and uh, that's sort of fictionalized as like them encouraging them, like right. sort of cheering them on. Like um, <laughs> they say things like "We can do it," or "No one can stop you." Um, <laughs> do an action. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done an action, so Tom, you can do an action. Tom, so, do right. an action. I've got it, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then. Um, uh, my first soldier bond was uh, between um, Nico and Fiona and uh, Nico is support and Fiona is a ranger um, and they are now they also became my highest level troops and so they went on as many missions as I could put them on um, and so they got really high level and their bond got really high level and now they've got um, a whole load of different bond abilities but one of them is that um, uh, if they, if someone, either of them ends a movement next to the other one, they are both cured of any negative me- mental effects. It's called Stand By Me, um, <laughs> which is really cute. It's just like, just being near each other, just like, uh, cures not on them. not fire of, anymore. <laughs> negative mental effects. Okay. So, <laughs> unless it's a fire of the mind, mm. uh, that wouldn't work. Um, and I had an amazing moment where the last, uh, my last two units with moves were, um, uh, Fiona, had was out in the open and uh she got uh attacked with mind control but it didn't work um she resisted it but in the process of resisting it panicked um which is in some ways worse because when you're mind controlled you can kill the thing that's mind controlling you and that cures it but panic is just panic um usually you can't get rid of it uh, very easily and uh nico is nearby and so nico could run out and and calm her down basically Except that Fiona was at the only patch of cover in a wide open space. There was no space adjacent to her that Nika could go to that would be in cover. And Nika only had one move. So once she moves there, she's stuck there um, for the alien turn. Um, but I did it anyway. And I had Nika run out to reassure Fiona. Fiona cured was cured from her panic just by Nika being near her. Um, and then that immediately gave me control of her. And she had uh, one action left. Um and because of that teamwork thing, I was able to have Fiona give her action back to Nika so that Nika could run to cover and get back to safety. <laughs> it was a really neat little mechanical thing. It also like told a little story of their friendship yeah, and like how like, they helped each other. Hey, calm down. No, I'm fine. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> That's really awesome. That's great. I really want to play it. It's, been, it's, it's of, because of having such a crazy run of, of things coming out. Cause like mm. new Dishonored is out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very, very imminently. Um, and Destiny and everything else, it's the game I've put on the list for like Christmas or when things calm down. I figure it's not only going to get better as XCOM tends to, but, mm. but yeah, it's great. 
There's also a, a challenge mode, which I haven't touched yet. Mm. But it's like a daily challenge with randomized units and um, enemies. Uh, and apparently that also includes like aliens. You can have aliens on your team. Hmm. Um, I'm really interested to try it, but I'm trying to finish this goddamn campaign. And it's taken an incredibly long time. It's the only game I play uh, at the moment, really. Um, and it's kind of my break game. Uh, which is it's not a great fit for breaks because it takes like an hour <laughs> to play any mission, um, but it is a good uh, good way to disengage from anything else because it will consume your entire brain. Rad. Shall we do questions? <laughs> you sound extremely weary about that, but only because I made you say it again. Yes, and you will know whether Chris left that in or not. <laughs> Guess what? I'm cutting it out lame well you're just gonna have to live with it oh my god cut this whole bit can we do questions <laughs> yes absolutely for the third time Ugh. it's always a bit of a stumbling block this bit <laughs> yeah it's weird maybe we should just add a jingle or something break, rather <laughs> now than it's pre- fucking questions <laughs> questions i'm actually just cutting out this let's do some questions hang on no because it would need to go up at the end because questions so it'd be questions <laughs> I'm cutting into this now. <gasps> Why can't I stop cutting in? <laughs> Who knows? He's a musician. He'll know. How do you make a song sound like a question? You just did it. Oh. <laughs> Perfect first time. <laughs> that was the fifth time. <laughs> and also the second time of singing. <laughs> Close enough for jazz. <laughs> Rapidly becoming the, the Tom Senior catchphrase. <laughs> That's, that, that is what's on your XCOM death I, poster. I think about it all the time. It's, <laughs> like, it's part of my internal... You know, dialogue. Yeah. Like uh, Marsh's palate cleansing citrus. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, this oh, the secret that. catchphrase. <laughs> yeah, ask him about it sometime. Uh, I don't know exactly where it comes from, but if there's anything I learned about Marsh in the two years I lived with him, it's it don't was... say that phrase around him. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> but also that he leaves pictures of goblins with their penises out in unexpected places. Palate cleansing goblin penis. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> really, <laughs> though? I didn't want to say that, but I did. Goblin penis sorbet. Yeah. Mm. Um, not nothing good lies that way down that conversation hole. Something wicked this way comes. <laughs> I wish we'd just done questions. Well, you had that choice. I did this have that choice on you. I thought we were it was riffing. We were bouncing ideas back and forth. But flowing. how does that always go? Badly. Like get right. hurt. Never do that again. <laughs> Scripted podcast from now on only. Yes. Um. Travis writes, hello, waffle and butter. I love that this pun game has just become a <laughs> now. <laughs> this is surreal Is now. that a thing? Do you put butter on waffles? Yeah. yeah. Isn't it waffles and syrup? Yeah, syrup as well. Or waffles and bacon? I don't know about Americans, actually. I don't know. I think they have like, no, they do, because they have like, uh, you get like a dish of, it is butter, but it's like whipped cream butter in some oh. way. It's like really fluffy. Yeah, no, that's weird. I don't like that. I'll take it. Any kind of butter. Heard <laughs> <laughs> it here first, folks. Tom Francis. <laughs> that's hit on his XCOM poster. Any kind of butter on a waffle. <laughs> <laughs> My memorial poster when I die. <laughs> that's how he died. <laughs> it wasn't the sectoids that got him. It was any kind of butter. Um, that I can't believe it's It was butter. lost butter, the butter that's left over in the cities that have turned to the zombies. <laughs> uh, the rest of Travis's email after the first four words proceed. <laughs> Which we've now thoroughly discussed. Uh, I'd like to quickly apologise for seeming mean towards Tom F. for my last few questions. 
someone's personal opinions being objectively wrong should not be held against them. Doesn't seem that sorry. <laughs> so actually, I think Trevor genuinely was sorry because when we skipped questions last week, this is one of the ones that were sent in for last week's pod that we skipped because we didn't quite do questions last week. Um, he uh, he popped up in Discord to explicitly ask that you got the message that he's sorry <laughs> about being mean. He still didn't refrain from continuing to be mean, though. <laughs> That's true. Um, you didn't refrain from being wrong, though. <laughs> I think I did, actually. I think I never actually went to that place. <laughs> I don't remember what it was that you no, were wrong about. <laughs> uh, in any case, he continues, uh, unrelated, I think, to the subject of Tom's rightness or wrongness. Well, he's wrong about the butter, so... Um, but he didn't say anything about the butter. He's put it with a waffle. <laughs> Even your opening was wrong in this email. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, this is going to take a time. It is. He goes on to write, um, The lovely Matt Lees recently published a video of a presentation he gave at Gamescom Congress. The link will be in the show notes. It's a good watch, and as a hobbyist game developer, raised a lot of difficult questions in my mind. He spoke briefly of Brenda Romero's uh, The Mechanic is the Message idea, which I thought was super interesting. Can you think of a mechanic from a recent mainstream game that reflected a socially positive message? The example that most readily springs to mind for me is trade agreements in strategy games that are cancelled upon declarations of war. It has a real peace and trust can win the day glow to it. Love, Travis, a.k.a. TJ House in Discord. Yeah, I'll just say that um, my XCOM teamwork story earlier is a pretty perfect example of that, mm. I think. Um, if you're feeling bad, just ask a friend to stand next to you so you can tell them to go away. Just mechanics that represent nice, mm. nice stories. Yeah. Yeah, rewarding kind of just people helping mm. in that way without kind of negative consequences. Yeah, it's funny. That, like, as soon as I sort of experienced that, I, I wondered why that isn't more common. Like, there are, there's obviously like healing in games and stuff, but um, XCOM breaking it down to that much more emotional level of like, this person is scared and this person makes them feel better. Mm. Um, is XCOM proves immediately that it has obvious combat utility. It makes sense in the, in the, in a war zone situation. It's not like a stretch. Mm. You know, it's very hard to make uh, uh, richly mechanical games about social interactions that are totally divorced from um, uh, the, the more traditional settings of games of combat and danger. Um, but a lot of those little moments and, and emotional rules and stuff do map quite well onto like a combat situation. So it doesn't seem like a huge stretch. I'm surprised it hasn't been done more and sooner. Mm. I mean, it's interesting that you say healing because, like, the the easiest way to feel like everyone hates you is to be a healer in the <laughs> game because not only will no one ever acknowledge when you do heal them, they'll shout at you if you don't manage to for some arcane <laughs> reason. So it's like that's a, an interesting one of like a thing which is technically you helping that ends up feeling like the worst role in the game that no one wants to play most of the time. I think that's the thing. I think games are pretty bad at providing opportunities to be generous in a real sense. Like, often if you are generous in an RPG, as in in the kind of, no, 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 you don't give me any rewards kind yeah. of sense, you're doing it because it'll give you the light side points that ultimately mean yeah. that your friend won't die. Mm. <laughs> like, which is not charity. Similarly, like, you know, we've spoken about it in different contexts before, but... I'm always fascinated by the kind of the absence of real material consequences in The Sims, which is a game that kind of purports to be about real life. But the kind of concept of giving people things in charity doesn't really exist outside of sort of fixed interactions that are built around the idea of gift giving, but don't really have any material consequences for the people involved. Because everyone's kind of like, 
you know, you live in a world where hunger exists, but your fridge contains infinite cheap yogurt. So you, which is not, you know what I mean? Which to mean, be fair, with enough milk, you too can have mm-hmm. infinite cheap yogurt. That's not quite the same. I'm just helping. <laughs> what I'm saying is, like, The Sims would be really interesting if, like, real serious material want could exist in its world so that you might have the neighbor who's, you know, you can genuinely just give up some of your resources to help out by cooking them some dinners and having them brought around. You know, like, real life stuff that kind of maps onto, like, genuine social messages. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Rebecca's diary, uh, Addison Kev, is an amazing expose Mm. on The Sims' inability to handle this, (laughs) Uh, which is just merely an excuse for us to link that in the show notes again. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I couldn't decide when I had my XM story... Afterwards, I thought, like, as I was doing it, I knew I did it because I actually knew it would pay off mechanically. I knew that um, by calming her down. Um, actually, uh, I, when Nika saved Fiona, it was a value judgment on my part that I thought it was worth putting in her risk to get Fiona back. It was too um, much of a problem. And so everything I did was pragmatically motivated. I was looking at what the best um, solution to this puzzle was. And I could see that it was gonna it was gonna make a great story, and I was pleased by that. But I wasn't doing it uh, because of the emotional uh, connection these characters had. I was doing it because of the rules, which is uh, derived from that. And I couldn't decide whether that was good or bad. Whether it was like, on one level, I'm impressed that the game's mechanics work in this way that that uh, they have made it so that following the the emotional rules of your characters is beneficial. That's a really uh, difficult and and good thing to do um but then i also wondered was this rendered meaningless by the fact that it was just profitable for me it was just it paid off so it wasn't there i think that the thing that wasn't in that thing that it sounds like there's an element of sacrifice in the story but in the mechanics there isn't any sacrifice because everyone's doing the thing that benefits all of us best um well also like you have that situation where the game has bonded those characters and so it also prioritizes some relationships over others you know just through mechanical you know determination that these two were compatible and then they formed a bond and it's like okay well it's not like your your squad mates get human benefits from human interaction it's that these two people are bonded in a very hyper specific way with particular rules attached to it so i think i'm more inclined to sort of it may the question made me think of things more like journey you know where players Mm. want to to play with each other or help each other or lead each other or you know that kind Mm. of thing um and it also put me in mind of the um firstly the ways that this isn't to do with game mechanics themselves but the ways that game developers try to add extra layers to reward good behavior and to gamify people into being human to each other which is a worrying thing in its necessity but also an interesting exercise and when it works it it can be really cool um but also sort of a hybrid between the two is the guided games thing in destiny that Mm. i think we've spoken about a little bit before which is the thing where uh, essentially bungie are trying to make it easier for solo players to find uh pickup groups for for activities 
while still kind of knowing the types of people or the the play style that they're getting into so you'll have less of that mismatch of somebody who's hyper competitive ending up in a chill out group or vice versa and also you know that you'll have groups of people who are willing to shepherd Mm. like newcomers through a thing without getting stressed or whatever and that there would be these ways to to encourage those interactions because it was happening organically in the original destiny anyway and so i think it's it it behoves bungie to bring it in house and try and make it even more of a feature because it's it's a nice thing and it's a an easy kind of win on their part for making their community seem you know super positive and Mm. cool I think I've had quite a lot of good experiences recently, both in Destiny 2 and Absolver, with games that have kind of just like anonymous ambient co-op in them, because they provide opportunities for objective-minded players or min-maxing players to completely breeze by fellow players in need. But you can also stop and help, and there is actually a genuine... You don't gain anything mechanically from stopping and helping with either a boss fighting in Absolver that you've done before, or with a public event in destiny that you don't specifically need to do quote unquote for whatever thing you're working towards you'll get something from it but you you know what i mean you might know that you've done your tally of public events of the day or for now or whatever Mm. but i find it hard in, in both that game and in absolver to like pass by a player who's on their own in the middle of a public event or trying to fight you know absolver's bosses are specifically designed to be fought by multiple players at once so like you see someone trying them by themselves and like the knowledge that this system means I can help and that help will be directly meaningful to like another human being somewhere in the world who might be struggling with this boss. But honestly, you can look and at a glance, see if they're struggling with it. Hmm. And there's like, that is, I think an opportunity to be genuinely generous with your time in terms of just stopping and saying like, Hey man, don't worry, I'll, I'll get this. And you kind of run in and, peel away one of the fighters and fight them yourself and deal with them for that person hmm. and then you can be chill about it and like let them finish off the boss if they need or if they get in trouble take in step in and i really like that system destiny 2 has a similar thing where you see someone struggling with a public event you can dive in and, and help out Dark that sort Souls of thing is did that sort of thing as well didn't it like you it had to have... actively summon people yeah but, yeah but i mean there were people who were deliberately setting out to help people or Mm. you know the floor messages could be you know they could be really you know messing you around but you know there were also a mechanism of communicating and stuff and I think some of that I mean it, it wasn't I don't think it's quite what the question is asking about because it's not quite something that is built in as a positive mechanical thing non-ambiguously unambiguously rather but it is it was nice to see that people did use those more neutral things for good as mm. well as for for japes in the witcher 3 you can refuse payment on the grounds of compassion for a lot of missions and um that mechanic just ends there really it's just you do it <laughs> for your own self fulfillment and your own kind of enjoyment um obviously you lose out in the game but if you want to role play Geralt as, as a kind of robin hood uh, and not a kind of mercenary, then that's where the game gives you your choice, which is nice. Yeah, that's good. Hmm. Hmm. That's yeah, I really, really dislike it when turning down payment ends up being the most profitable option as well. <laughs> yeah, like Bioshock <laughs> was the worst for this, where I mean, not quite the same situation, but um, uh, saving the little sisters 
it was presented as this difficult moral choice of like, oh, you get way more profit from harvesting them, but uh, obviously the morally right thing to do is to save them. But then if you save them, you get a huge reward for it that far outweighs the reward you get for harvesting them. So there is no choice. Yeah, yeah, precisely. When it's too transactional, I think that's when it loses it. That's why I think I like it in co-op games, because anytime you can give the player just the freedom to give selflessly then most players won't but it's nice because then MMOs the thing. were good for that yeah that's one yeah exactly Destiny being good for it as well like that's the nice thing about having those co-op systems that provide that headroom I don't think you can ever expect most players to do it I don't know if it's possible to have a mechanic where most players give selflessly hmm. but there is a difference between yeah like making everything a transaction and having some things that are just you do this because you feel like being nice to a digital person which is sometimes a real person Next question, question two, <laughs> comes from Kane, who writes, Dear Tomph, what do you suppose your playtime breakdown in XCOM 2 War of the Chosen is right now between the tactical combat, the geoscape, and elaborately posing soldiers for humorous propaganda posters to share on Twitter? Regards, Kane. Okay, I think it's about... Um, for a mission... For a mission took like 30 minutes, sometimes takes a bit longer. Um... I reckon I spend about 20 minutes making posters and 20 minutes on the geoscape. <laughs> There's a lot of poster time. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of arts and crafts. Next question. Arts and spacecrafts. Nice. Thanks. <laughs> Good. What? Bant distributed. Yeah. Dudley writes... Greetings, generic container and tool. Tag yourself. I'm tool. <laughs> um, I've recently returned to gaming after many, many years away, building a PC to indulge myself in a burgeoning Steam library. Yesterday, I completed Playdead's rather excellent Inside and immediately turned to older episodes of CNC to rediscover the team's opinions on the game. I was surprised to hear Chris estimate it to be a three-hour game. I completed it in nine hours and felt that I was doing so fairly swiftly. I was never bored, super stuck, or particularly frustrated. Acknowledging that more experience in games means that players will be better in general over time, are time estimates, particularly from those who play games as a living or as an intense hobby, valuable at all? Thank you for all your excellent work. Sincerely, Dudley. There's a good website called, I think, How Long to Beat? Yeah. How Long to Beat. And it's um, uh, a sort of user, a sort of crowdsourced um, service for that will tell you, uh, on average, people took two and a half hours to complete this game, or three and a half hours with all the collectibles, or four hours to 100% it. Um, and it seems to have a good number of um a good amount of data i was looking up i was curious about whether, whether tacoma or gone home was longer in uh for most people hmm. um what was the answer uh it turns out tacoma is slightly longer uh, gone home is sort of two and a bit hours and tacoma is more like three um i because i my perception was that tacoma felt shorter to me but i wasn't sure if that was just um i mean it was years since i played gone home so the thing i have noticed is that people are terrible at, at self-reporting this they have very kind of very wrong ideas of how long um things took and uh so for heat signature i actually added a game time clock i suppose i haven't thought about whether i'm going to take this out for release but for testing i wanted people to be able to actually see in like a hard measurement of how long they've 
they spent in the game. So that when we asked them, you know, if you completed, if you liberated all the strongholds, how long did that take you? Uh, they don't have to guess because if they guess, it'll just be meaningless data. <laughs> <laughs> I find that I so I can tell you see where where the guy's coming from because game time does vary tremendously, and I think it's becoming less important. Like I certainly won't don't think it has a a huge relationship with the value of a game, at least not to me necessarily. However, I do find it helpful when people can explain to me the rough kind of time band that games fit into. Because I think maybe to being too specific is um, is always going to have some inaccuracy. But it's nice to know short, medium, and long is sort of... I found myself... Well, to put it a different way, I found myself recently prioritizing games like XCOM, for example, based on the fact that I know I have limited time for them now. Mm. And a lot of indie games that I pick up and play, or any game that I pick up and play, I'm probably not going to play for much more than three hours most of the time. So it's nice knowing, like, oh, this is one of the games that you can get everything out of or get a substantial amount out of in three to six hours. It was helpful for me to know that Absolver's kind of open-world, single-player element was not a full Dark Souls, but was more like a sort of seven, eight-hour tutorial intro to a multiplayer game because that helped me kind of understand how much investment it was going to ask of me and made me more willing to kind of go through with it. Like it's been a long time since I've finished like a big single player game. I think Mass Effect Andromeda probably was the last one because that investment's harder to, to commit nowadays mm-hmm. and only a few games get it. So it's always helpful to know in advance. I think like this is a 20 to 40 hour game. This is a, three I'd to like, ten hour game i'd like the evening to be a unit of measurement because yeah. i think yeah if if i know that something is 40 hours or something then it will probably take more than a week of evenings consecutively it's mm. like that's too much for my current schedule and so that will be a thing that i either won't finish and just need a taster of or it'll get put on the black back the back burner whereas if it's like it is an evening or two evenings worth of play that's a a thing that i can do outside my job it should scale yeah. like the heat signature difficulty system it should go evening week <laughs> two weeks month and mistake <laughs> i think um but the other thing is that sometimes it can help get a feel for the game in a different way like um I think I mentioned this when I was talking about Pillars of the Earth because that's something that I wouldn't have actually gravitated towards if Adam hadn't asked me to review it mm. because I would have looked at it and thought this has all of the trappings of a 40-hour game, you know, like this is a thing that mm. will be long and having seen how many pages the book it's based on is this is going to be a long thing. And then it was surprisingly pacey and zippy and it was like, oh, okay. Uh, so I actually did include, you know, I think you could do this in a, in an afternoon or a day at the most if, you know, because for me, that was a thing that would have actually pushed me towards thinking I was going to enjoy it rather than going, oh yeah, but it'll be really dense and mm. really long and I won't have time for it, you know? Yeah. Hmm. The next question comes from James, who does not presuppose that games journalists are overly good and quick at completing games. He writes, Dear Loot Chest and Nerf Bat, happy 20x episode. Over two decades of playing games, I've seen the overall difficulty of games drop. 
I thought this was due to my increasing skills as the years go by. However, recent cries over the Crash Insane Trilogy's difficulty and the rise of difficult almost as a genre have changed my mind. As games journalists, whom are generally thought to be less skilled at games, <laughs> what's your take on the slow drop in difficulty of the average game? Cheers, James. I so, disagree with the I think we disagree with the premise <laughs> quite a lot. So I would challenge the assertion that games have gotten easier. Basically. Yeah. Anyone? Any other takers? Any other? <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like there's um, uh, lots of different threads of gaming have all just continued to exist. Um, and there is a thread uh, that's got better at usability. There's been, mm. if you go back and play a game from 10 years ago, probably one of the main things you know, is like the controls are a pain in the ass or the camera is mm. obstinate or there's just some like, just real problems that uh, took designers a long time to uh, figure out how to solve those and a lot of testing, which was done less in the, in the olden days. Um, and so there is no, and also like things like quest compasses um, were pretty rare uh, that long ago. Or even and checkpointing the, being bullshit. So like it, mm, it forces progress, you to, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of like, and that's just, there is now a, you know, the mainstream of games tends to not have any of those stumbling blocks that um, are those p super punishing elements that older games have. But there are also loads of games that do have those, like that that type of game continue to exist. Mm, there's more games. It, it remind me, because I, I recently went back and played the first Hitman, Code M47, mm. <laughs> for um, a PC gamer thing, because I'm writing their back, which is kind of the retro section of the game. I thought it'd be fun to go mm. back and revisit it. And what's interesting about that game is it's from 2000. It's not... I, I thought of 2000. It's not been like old, old. But it's 17 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a train wreck. Like, it's basically <laughs> uncontrollable. Like, yeah. they had no... It's, 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 it's amazing how bad its control scheme is. Like, in terms of any modern idea about usability or just consistency, like... Having left and right mouse, right mouse button, the right mouse button. <laughs> it's really hard to press that right mouse button. It's so small. The, the right mouse button is just isn't where you expect. Um, but like having the, even those two mouse buttons be inconsistently employed in what they, what you do with them is like one of the sort of UX design things that games just got better at. If I remember right, uh, M1 had like, mixed dual wielding right you could equip yeah. anything in one hand or any gun in one hand and, and you don't you don't hand. tell the game you want to do that it just does that and that might <laughs> yeah. stop you from pressing a lift button and now you can't go down the lift until you realize what the fuck has happened with your hands it really is like i don't want to crib for myself too much because i literally wrote this today um but it's a it's a mess but the thing about it is all the bare bones of hitman are in there including the hand mission structure but the missions are way simpler than any subsequent <laughs> hitman game like in terms of what you're being asked to do uh, it's almost refreshing. It's kind of nice to go back to Hitman being so easy <laughs> with so few elements where you just have to do one thing, really. Just like a guy in a park and if yeah. you get to the right place, you can just shoot him. <laughs> yeah, it's like the challenge is get a car bomb into this car. Here's the driver. who's gotten out and walked around that corner and just staring <laughs> at a bin you can push him in. Like, and that's that. It's so easy, really, from a kind of pure level design point of view. The only thing that makes it more punishing is the fact that the controls are a fucking disaster. <laughs> And but we've kept that as well for Dota. No. <laughs> like, we're not a disaster, but you know what well, I mean? Like it has kept so many unwieldy things. But pointedly, but... <laughs> Dota completely lost its old controls, yeah. which were completely unwieldy. Like every character in Dota used to have the keys mapped to different keys <laughs> for different, for no reason. 
Yeah, I, I was thinking, it, like, it really depends on where you look. Like, surely Dota 2 played it at the highest level is one of the hardest games ever made. Yeah, and yet, yeah. and yet its control system is fundamentally easier than mm. the original version of the game. Right, yeah. Um, and that doesn't change how difficult it is. Mm. I feel like the thing is that games have gotten, where games are difficult, they are more meaningfully difficult. It's not, how the fuck do I get this to run? Or, how do I control this it, thing? Yeah. That's yeah. what I meant, as in, like, we've kept all of the nonsense from dota that makes it really difficult mm. and like added more stuff that makes it you know like Com- there's more stuff to learn mm. but f- fundamentally but like the, the 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 obstacles that didn't need to be there mm. have been pared down or removed yeah. or changed and so it's kind of like at the core it's still a difficult experience it's just a different difficult experience mm. I can't really imagine anyone being interested in, like, recapturing the days of, like, we had no fucking idea how to design a control scheme for a third-person <laughs> game, so we did everything. Like, do you know what Crouch is bound to on Hitman? Guess. Delete. Q. No. F3. <laughs> I was going to say F1. <laughs> uh, X. Numlock. Four. <laughs> it's bound to four. <laughs> Guess what walking backwards is bound to? Oh, come on. It can't be. S. No. S is turn around. <laughs> Every now and then. Oh, sorry. X. <laughs> Delete. X. It's bound to oh, X. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> to try and match. Because it's like WASD plus. It's, right. it's, it's, it's a, it's a Remember uh, Final Fantasy VII's control scheme, which is entirely on the numpad? <laughs> you can play the entire game one-handed, I have, to, I have done for many hours. It's pretty strange. I remember yeah. when people used the, the numpad instead of... <laughs> don't, don't think about what I, that's too much. I, I was going to move something on. <laughs> that's when you really want to know how long the game is. Um... <laughs> Uh, Kids. Uh, yeah, discs two and three are real. Oh yeah, slog. I don't know whether I want to add my point now because <laughs> we just keep giggling and thinking show. about other things. Um, the other thing I was going to say was like it might be that the average difficulty of games has gone down, but that's because more people than ever are making more games than ever and more types of games, and so you know, the addition of a whole bunch of exploration sims or, like, cool, weird experiments which aren't difficult to interact with or wouldn't mm. be put on that end of the scale if you did want to classify them will bring that average down. But that in and of itself isn't a bad thing either. And it's like... And I don't think that it affects the overall, you know, read of that situation. Um I also wanted to just, like, when you mentioned about when we were talking about MOBAs, like, and time and things, like, it made me think of, for the previous question, like, obviously, at this point, with so many games that are super hungry for you to spend all of your time in them, like Dota or, like, Plunkbat or, like, League of Legends or whatever else, like, the idea of time relative to that is meaningless because, Mm. like, a tiny thing that takes an hour and a half versus the 2000 hours you've plugged into yeah. something else it's kind of like there's no scale there's no you know it's like this this insignificant ant versus this cannonball yeah. you know it's funny it's like someone should should like say like hey do you want to why not play um what remains of edith finch it's four games of dota <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just need to find the the relevant measure of mm. everyone's time, right? Mm. <laughs> like that's three feature films, or that's like two. I don't know ragus. I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm hungry. It's <laughs> that was. Like, 
<laughs> Look, we've got a lot of questions. I don't know if I can do it. Shall we move on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, a Welshman in Dublin writes, Dear cargo containers and hyperspanners, are any of you Trekkies? I don't recall hearing you talk much about Star Trek on the pod, though I might be wrong. What's your favourite Star Trek video game, if any? Mine was Elite Force back in 2000. Played the shit out of that. Big shout out to my mate Matthew Griffith, who put me onto your pod a year ago. Please help me encourage him to find time to play Divinity Original Sin 2 with his friends when it's released. Yours, a Welshman in Dublin. Um, Matthew Griffith, play Divinity Original Sin Dos 2. Two. Please. <gasps> dos 2. It's Dos Dos. Two Dos. dos. That reminds me of a story, but I'm not going to tell because Pip will kill me. uh... (laughs) Next. I like Star Trek. Yes, (laughs) I'm glad. I'm a big fan of Star Trek. What do you like about Star Trek? Um, Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's going to be an exam. I, I used love to love TNG I, and Voyager. Yeah, I uh, oh, I love Deep Space Nine the best. I'm afraid. Really? Um, Interesting. I, I love them all though. I don't have any. I quite uh, like, I like DS Nine for how different it is. So the initial thing I liked about it was that the doors make a nice hiss when they open, um. <laughs> and it was all about like when I was very young and I first saw Next Generation on TV. I was just um, uh, captivated by like the nice future, like mm. a utopian yeah. um, vision of, of humanity's future, and then. Deep Space Nine really clicked with me when there was an episode where um, I was watching it and uh, they're on this planet and they were up against the Dominion and it was uh, going really badly. And you, you're always thinking when you're watching these things, like, how is this going to pan out for the good guys? And it just fucking didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it just ended and people died and it was just horrible. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, I didn't know you could do that. Hmm. Um, and also uh, in Deep Space Nine in particular... Um, Bashir and O'Brien's friendship is just really it feels really real and just um human in a way that I didn't really I didn't really get much of that from Next Generation dipping in and out of it and probably if you watch the whole thing there's a lot more Mm. uh, on the human relationship aspect but that was uh, they just kind of like hang out and do fun stuff together (laughs) and then also Garrick in Deep Space Nine is my favourite Star Trek character Um, Mm. and he and Bashir have this brilliant like wry sort of friendship where they are friends but also Bashir is not so yeah, um, Garrick is not telling him a million things and also might be a ruthless killer. <laughs> <laughs> like any good friendship. There yeah. are more like, there are um, like uh, complicated relationships, but they're more telegraphed, I guess. They're far less subtle and less, you know, because there's obviously Riker and Troy have a thing or mm. did and, you know, um, Beverly Crusher and Picard have like their relationship thing and you know it's like there's all this stuff but it's very much like telegraphed and it's quite sort of simple for the audience mm. to pick up TNG on. TNG is a strange show. I really like to it. To be honest I think TNG's best relationship is Q and Picard because mm. <laughs> yeah. it's so weird and funny and complicated and unreadable in some ways. I was talking to my friend Will about this the other evening, Will Salmon um, about how just how weirdly kind of randy the first couple of episodes of the next generation are <laughs> like the first episode of the next generation opens with like q dresses like sir francis drake out of nowhere on the bridge of the enterprise then they go to like tina turner mad max sexy dystopian past for a bit but then the entire episode is about two big space jellyfish getting it <laughs> getting it on is that the one with the court case 
yes, at the start, yeah. Yeah. And then the one after that is the one where everyone in the Enterprise is drunk and Tasha Yar shags oh, Data, yeah. like episode two. I think <laughs> very like... few shows get to like deep fandom hmm. shipping <laughs> cuts, like straight the fucking way. It's not like mid-season five, <laughs> those two finally get it on. It's like episode two, Wesley's drunk. It's a comedy bottle episode, and we haven't even really started yet. It's Wasn't a weird show. Wesley not drunk? He was like, an, uh, he took control of the ship. He did, but uh, because everyone on the Enterprise was hammered for some reason. Interesting. That is. The- oh, oh, sorry, the, best, the question. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. The best Deep Space Nine episode is there are so many Star Trek episodes where all the crew are acting strangely, and often there's like one who isn't, and they have to figure oh, it out. God, yeah. And there's one where Miles O'Brien um, is called. Oh, is it called something like? Uh, oh fuck i can't remember what it's called <laughs> um uh he is finding that the whole crew is acting really weird and then he goes to odo who is the shapeshifter who's usually immune to anything that's affecting like other species because he's just fundamentally unlike any other life form and he's acting weird too and you're sitting there just thinking how the hell that just can't work and the resolution of that is just brilliant <laughs> i'm not gonna say what it is <laughs> damn it really i want to know now i'm um, gonna have to dig all this out so there's an episode called, uh, like uh, in the pale moonlight is not this episode <laughs> that's the other great one uh that's a good garrick episode this one might be called like whispers or something like that sorry i'll um if i figure it out i'll send it to you for the show notes chris mm-hmm. <laughs> kez's story art was fucking lame though it's kez's voyager oh it might have been because i think i conflate them in a lot of ways because they were on similar times on channel on bbc mm. two <laughs> but like because i've i've lumped her in with a whole bunch of of ds9 characters and i don't know why i would have done that <laughs> mentally maybe i've just replaced a whole bunch of people <laughs> in my head we should um settle on best star trek games though oh. i remember liking elite force 2 mm. um i can't remember if I, I think i might have skipped the original elite force at the time or something um it was dumb. I, I was annoyed at it for not being a faithful representation of Star Trek because you just have like a phaser shotgun and a phaser rocket launcher <laughs> and you have like muscle contoured armor, which really did not feel very Star Trek. <laughs> uh, but it was a reasonably satisfying shooter. And I also really liked that um, this was clearly done for production economy, but there is a uh, love interest in it. Um, but you could also choose the gender of your main character and they just didn't change anything about the relationship. So it's a woman, and she's just, I guess, canonically bi because um, she will have the exact same relationship with you regardless of your gender, which is sort of accidentally progressive. <laughs> yeah. With the, it, with, it depends on whether or not she's bi or player sexual, which is the kind of the... Yeah. That, and also you can make the argument that maybe these two eventualities don't take place in the same reality. So if you play as a male... Star Trek kind of <laughs> yeah. solution to that problem as well. I played... Um... Star Trek Bridge Crew, which is the the VR thing mm. where mm. everybody has their own station on the on the bridge and goes off and does missions and things, and that was that was fun in that you know it was a, a thing where we all pretended to be in Star Trek, and enough of us had seen it that it felt like we were sort of it was a semi role play i guess um but it was a really appealing thing to be in that atmosphere and sort of end up making a mess of it and like it it wasn't the sort of thing where you sort of feel a fundamental new respect for picard for the for the toughness of this job that he does um 
but it was it was cool and i think it did encapsulate something of the the feel that you would that you would assume you'd have on the mm. star trek bridge i think but obviously it just wouldn't really go anywhere because vr isn't <coughs> the thing that mm. that people making vr games would need it to be right mm. did always enjoy artemis for that Artemis is excellent. Mm. Um, it's not an official Star Trek game, but it is a Star Trek game. Yeah, it's so clearly a Star Trek game. <laughs> yeah. And you don't need expensive VR equipment, but if you can drag a few PCs into a room, then that's that's good. That's awesome. I really enjoyed uh, Star Trek Online. I was going to say exactly that. Yeah, mm. that, it was um, it was actually a really good party RPG, and I think you could beam down onto planets with uh, uh, like NPC companions, which was the perfect Star Trek fantasy. It's like you go down, you've got your red shirts with you, and you know. <laughs> Uh, the sound's really authentic. The missions are really short. Then you go back up to your spaceship and there's a whole space kind of aspect of the game where you're going around getting into space combat. And again, all the kind of vessels were authentic, all the sounds were authentic. And it, it felt like a really fun kind of romp uh, as an MMO. It's quite like ambitious in many ways for mm. trying to render a lot of different environments and different types of interaction with the world in, in one cohesive world. I really liked having the freedom to create my own entire crew. You, know, you make one yeah. main character, but you also kind of collect and define your bridge crew mm. and you can sort of you know group up with other players but you can also beam down with like your actual team and it's kind of nice sort of mm. having the creative freedom to sort of come up with your own sort of archetypical star trek cast which has some obviously some game ramifications as well but is broadly <laughs> just a kind of like what do you want to do mm. I mean, that's kind of a nice yeah i like it a lot yeah i think it's still I going i think it is actually Hmm. Hmm. Star Wars. <laughs> Was it though? <laughs> Patrick writes, Dear Wrench and Glue Gun, I've only just got around to playing Prey after both installing and launching the 2006 game of the same name, then catching up on the subsequent spoiler cast recorded way back when in the sweltery summer of 17. Somewhere near the end, someone wistfully said that they'd play the game that's Prey with no combat, just exploring a space station, listening to logs, and figuring out what happened. Uh, to the tune of Totoro, Takoma, Takoma, Tak, and so on. My question is this. What games did you wish existed only to have them come true? Frankie Five Fingers, it doesn't count if you make them yourself. <laughs> P.S. Shout out to Dev Game Club, a podcast from two veteran game developers that recently finished a fantastic Insiders retrospective of half-life is frankie five fingers tom yeah yeah you've got more than five fingers well per hand uh it's a reference to pentadact which oh, is um latin uh, part yeah. of the latin name for the south american bullfrog which is uh refers to the fact they have five fingers um I thought it was a reference to five nights at freddy's <laughs> <laughs> maybe it is i don't quite remember um like did we ever talk about like gangster names at some point or something <laughs> we did yeah yeah okay, that's how he knows that because <laughs> that's come up before yes that is why that is a thing um, um so yes games we wished existed and then did yeah this kind of is the case for episodic hitman i back mm. in the blood money days i kept saying like oh if they just sold me a mission every month i would happily pay for that um and they did and i did <laughs> it was good Total War Warhammer. Mm. It's always seemed like an obvious fit, and then it finally happened. Hmm. Mm. More life is strange. <laughs> I don't think that's the spirit of the question. 
I think I like I kind of I can't pin on anything that I definitely so specifically wished for, but I know I definitely wanted like Jedi Knight style games to come back and it feels like they have because yeah. it's been like a run of good third person melee combat games, including the Dark Souls series to <laughs> some extent. From Blade Symphony to Absolver to mm. that kind of thing. So that's definitely something that I wanted to happen that did. That's nice. I do um, not say I want like I don't that's not really how I think about games because I just I I'm happy to be surprised by a thing that comes along. Mm. I think like, yeah. that's just a fundamental different approach to thinking about games I think than than the one I usually operate on. I mean, there's a certain amount of I wish there were more games about under the sea or fish or you know things <laughs> like that and then Subnautica came along, but that wasn't you know, I wasn't specifically after a game like Subnautica. That was more just an idol. Yeah. If I Google fish enough, maybe someone <laughs> will, <laughs> will think there's a trend and make a game. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Have Google will fish. <laughs> but nowadays I'm generally wary of saying, like, games I'd really love to exist because if I ever wanted to, like make a game or something i don't want to just like describe all of my ideas and things <laughs> I, I would like i would like to happen even though i'd still really possible. like that murder mystery mmo i'm always banging on about mm. like i think i still don't think that anyone has really made a satisfying murder mystery no that's true so why an mmo well, mostly because of my massively midsummer pitch. <laughs> okay. So, but I, <laughs> you know, I do think that obviously, like in things like RuneScape, the the mission that people always seem to talk about, and I maybe it's because they're talking to me, <laughs> but they always talk about like a murder mystery that that happened in that, and I think that you know, like having watched a lot of Midsummer and, you know, uh, Poirot and things like that, you do have a feel for these places where, you know, these counties or these environments where murder is just this really commonplace thing and you just need to turn up and interrogate the people who happen to be hanging around that dining room or in that village or something and you'll piece it together. And so... You know, I, I, I do think, like, all joking aside, I, I really would love to see someone take that on, like, this set of mysteries or this idea that how, of how clues unravel and stuff. And it's ultimately quite formulaic, so presumably there are ways to reduce the the burden on scriptwriters and things like that. But, you know, they are all different and it's you know it's still satisfying an itch each time and you know i thought that could be quite cool and that's why i think it wouldn't be an mmo but it would be you know more like a but it it would be bigger than just you know a a mission in the dark brotherhood storyline or a, mm. a, you know an isolated thing that everyone still you know looks back on fondly years later but existed in this tiny slice 
you did have like a detective MMO and the players were detectives, you might have a really crazy detective to crime ratio where there's like <laughs> 20 people solving every little thing. Like, I think someone stole something. <laughs> I'm going to solve it. Which is weird because the traditional mode for TV detective is an absurd crime to detective ratio. Yeah. <laughs> 26 murders. You can't go anywhere. But also, yeah, because they, they sort of hinge around you being the only person who's worth calling in any of these scenarios. Because yeah. Chris was like, why is Jap always the only person who's ever summoned for these things? I mean, well, actually, as in the Chief Inspector and Parra, ITV not like real is deep probably and only <laughs> only interested in the ones where he turns up. You know, but it's like I mean, so I mean, yes, but the the implication of like a lot of Parra mysteries is that murder, particularly among the British upper classes, is common enough in that world that it's worth. Like you'd have to be so. You, I'll paint the picture. You're on a cruise on a small boat with the most famous detective in the world. <laughs> is that the moment you choose to commit a crime in your life? Like, is that the moment you choose to do the murder that you've been building up towards? I would submit that in a world with a normal crime rate, you wait until <laughs> the cruise is over. Mm. However, the implication is the only way to make that make sense is that murder is so common that like that's the only window you've got, or else you might be murdered. Like. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and you, that bears out. It does, yeah. <laughs> it basically, it does. Um, that's off topic. The next topic to be on. <laughs> Good segue. Thanks, man. Comes from Nebajoth, who writes, "Hi, gang. This question is for Tom S. Partly because he doesn't get enough questions, and partly because his words on Hellblade in episode two hundred one and the efficiency of the game mechanic of whispering voices and creating a tangibly anxious atmosphere." reminded me of his appreciation of the deep sense of unease instilled by Thumper in an earlier episode. So here's my question for Tom. Do you like games that make you uneasy? Is it a good thing when a game makes you anxious? For the rest of the gang, what game has made you the most anxious while playing it? Nebajoth, P.S. I watched my first Dota 2 International thanks to your coverage in episode 201. It was great. P.P.S. Yes, Team Liquid, yes! Yay! <laughs> he bellows. Tom? Uh, yes, I do actually. Um, I enjoy it a lot. Anything that moves me off the, you know, endless plateau of uh, unmoving mood really is <laughs> useful to me. Um, I, I do really enjoy it. Actually, I really enjoy um, um, films that do this very well. I, I'm really interested in the artistry of it and how it happens. And if I was ever going to make something, I would like to do that with it. Mm. Uh, just to make a, other people's lives a little bit worse. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just want to bring some misery to the world. <laughs> stuff like Under the Skin, uh, fantastic movie for doing that. Mm. Um, and loads of just incredible electronic musicians who just simply exist to make horror music. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't really say why, but I do find it fascinating. Um, and I do enjoy being stressed out by these things and put into that space and kind of recovering from it afterwards, taking a few minutes to go, ooh, that was intense. That it's was. what makes you feel really alive, isn't it? Well, it's, it's that fear, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it's the terror. That's why I always like... Um tense games rather than like jump scare horror games yeah because jump scare horror isn't really a thing mm. you're afraid of the game rather than the thing in the game if that makes sense yeah the jump scare is just a reflex that your brain does before you even like have anything to do with it yeah. where uh, you're, if you're being immersed in this like horrible anxious place then that is you're engaging with you know, something a bit deeper there i think mm. it's very rare that anyone uses a jump scare in a way that i would say is intelligent mm. if you see what i mean like often it's kind of like and at this point, you just need a jolt or we need to do something. You yeah. know, it's like it never really feels like anything other than a cheap shot. Yeah, I agree. Or at least, yeah, I can't call to mind anything <laughs> so, like, to, to stem the inevitable tide of, well, <laughs> you've missed this. 
Mm. I don't In terms like of games that made you the most anxious, Tom? Um, good question. I find them um, like quite broken games that are too empty, quite quite anxious. Mm. Um, so like pathologic and stuff like that is very good for that. And to the extent that it's intentionally like that way, but also is so shonky that you're in a world that's fundamentally broken in a way that is quite anxiety inducing, I think. Mm. I'm not sure what, to what extent that's craft and to what extent it's just, we don't know how to build geometry properly. <laughs> craft and crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I gotta say Neptune's pride. Mm. <laughs> um, the very slow browser-based strategy game where um, you can and will betray your friends. Hmm. Maybe Defcon a little bit as well. We did like a, a real-time game of that where it lasts all day, and that was anything where there's like this constant time pressure that just never goes away. Mm. You could always be paying more attention. You could always be getting something done. It's kind of a traditional horror choice, but... <laughs> Uh, Alien Isolation is is one of those that keeps getting me, and it's because ninety nine percent of the time, when you're aware of how a game has been made or a horror thing has been made, it loses some of its power over you. Or, like I say, you become afraid of the game, not the mm. monster. You become afraid of when the designer is going to hit you with the thing, not yeah. the thing itself. Um, whereas the knowledge that it's not scripted makes me powerfully anxious. Is that sense of not being able to call upon like too many sort of knowledge of horror games or horror movies to kind of predict what's going to happen mm. suddenly makes it awful like in a good way like it's just not pleasant anymore because it's not like and this is where it's going to get me it's like sometimes it's not there and it's that's a real source of like oh no, i appreciate that's not like an unusual effect created by a sort of an off-kilter use of music or space or something it is mm. deliberate but it is i still think unique in that regard like i can't think of any other kind of horror games where you're being hunted by a monster where it is um, unpredictable to quite that degree. Yeah, and if it is, as in amnesia, it looks so fucking stupid that <laughs> yeah. if you actually confront it, it's just laughable. Yeah, it's the big wonky pyjama man. <laughs> He's come to dribble on you. <laughs> Next is Reed, who writes, Greetings, C&C. My brother is a musician slash composer who works in the very game-applicable discipline of electronic music comp production. He has expressed an interest in game music composition, but has no idea how to find developers with whom he might collaborate. Any suggestions? Thanks for the great pod. Read. I know that some people put, um, you know, uh, posts about their work or when they're looking for, um, for particular people to work with on their games on the um, TigSource uh, forums, mm. the independent game uh resource i guess uh forums and i'm mostly on there looking at the gifts of games being made thread <laughs> but um yeah like i i do see some people talking about you know what they have their portfolio you know things like that really and mm. and i don't know how successful it is i don't know how reliable it is for for those kinds of meetups um but it might be a starting point or you might find like a local games hub or something where people are co-working go along yeah i can um tell you ways composers have um offered their services to me um it never worked because um i uh the only way i've ever done it is to when i decide i need a composer put out a call make a blog post and a trailer and 
ask for submissions and uh, or you know people send their portfolios in and stuff and uh, go through those and you know at that moment I'm looking for a composer once I have one I'm no longer looking for a composer so there's never any leeway you like cold mailing me doesn't work and mm. conferences doesn't work and because um, it's a pretty hard and fast thing um, has anyone ever composed you a theme tune for like you for myself yeah <laughs> no <laughs> I never asked them for that. <laughs> but if, unsolicited, if someone sent you the perfect theme tune for yourself <laughs> that you could use when going into a room, would that sway you? How mechanically does this get played? Do I have to like throw my phone in ahead of <laughs> <laughs> Just Look. press play on that. I'll come in in a sec. <laughs> Google, yes. oh, no, Google, Actually, Google play. This is where smart homes come in. <laughs> <laughs> I did have to pick an entrance uh, song for the Time Barons tournament at Stugan. Um, nice. As as contestants walk into their selected match, this will be blasted from the speaker system. Um, and I picked Same Old by um, he- The Heavy, hmm. who are a Bath-based band. I interrupted what you were saying about work solicitations. I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't really have any useful advice, really. Just so much of um, <laughs> uh, things that have not worked. I think um, on... Because I subscribe to a few like art jobs mailing lists and things or, you know, back from when I was um, freelance and whatnot. And the majority of those are like, you know, theatre things or artist in residence things. But it might be worth signing up to stuff like that. I think these particular ones are from the Arts Council and they're just from, you know, all over the country things where people are Mm. just looking for, for people to work on on projects. And so... That might be another source of that stuff. I would say specifically social media stuff. So look, find out if there is a game dev, indie game dev group in Facebook for your region. There is definitely one for Southwest UK. Find out how you get access to that. And job postings are pretty frequent. The other thing is just being active on Twitter in sort of circles, sharing things you're working on. There's quite a lot of, there's pretty big game dev community around sharing work in progress stuff. And that is a way of getting people to see your things. I wonder if there's a music version of Screenshot Saturday. Yeah, music. Soundbite. Wednesday. Monday. Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but basically, like, it's it's a boring answer, but those are the things that seem to work for people. Like, you'd be amazed how much hiring gets done through Twitter, basically. Mm. At least in the initial kind of making contact with somebody whose work you like kind of way. I'm assuming SoundCloud would be a useful thing to be on. I know that... Yeah, a fair few people use it as as a kind of music based social interface. Next question comes from Jacob, who writes, "Dear Creighton Bumbar, watch out! Here comes a red hot topic right out to the internet presses. I'm sure people will already be asking you this, but just in case I'm the only one, here's a video of a journalist being bad at Cuphead, which has raised the question: Should journalists be good at games and let's not touch that fucking thing with a fucking barge pole but move on to the rest of this otherwise good question (laughs) um personally the answer is clearly no even the discussions which have come out of this topic such as should the journalist know the genre confuse me for example i'm not good at and do not enjoy strategy games but if a reviewer i know to also be in the same position says that a strategy game is amazing then i know it is worth trying even though i'm not normally a fan of those types of games a range of people looking at a game allows you to find the one which best fits your view, and in turn see it through their lens. <clears throat> Sorry. This is why I appreciate the Feminist Frequency videos, as they allow me to see games from a position I would not be able to on my own, and the more opinions, the more chance someone will say something thought-provoking. 
However, it seems like the vocal community of internet gamers want one blanket consensus on a game and that deviant opinions are invalid. I better cut myself off before I rant on too much, but if you could just agree with exactly what I just said, then that would be great. Thanks for reading, Jacob. P.S. Been Love the podcast, been listening since the PC Gamer days, just never felt like I had anything to write in about, but that name pun seemed like pure unmined gold, and that pun, to reiterate, was Crate and Bumbar. Nice. And Godspeed to you, sir. That's fabulous. Mm. Um... <laughs> Oh, yeah. sorry, Tom, would you have preferred Crate and Crowbomb? <laughs> nope, that wasn't my issue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so obviously to gloss over the kind of thing that the recent kind of Twitter ugliness that has prompted this being a discussion again. Uh, but I basically agree with everything you just said. Mm-hmm. There is no need to be good at games to offer a critical assessment of them because the vast majority of people who play games are not good at them. The end. (laughs) Sam writes, Dear Crotchets and Quavers, I'm a professional classical violinist. I have spent a quarter century finely tuning the movements of my arms, hands, fingers and brain for speed, control, coordination and timing. The movements of the brain. He's got a fast... The little grey cells, Pip. (laughs) The grudge. Why, oh why, does this not make me good at video games? In Terrorbang. Shooters, RTSs, platformers, Wizard-em-up, sports games, stealth games, Metroidvania, roguelikes, roguelites, gunpoint, walking simulators. I am utterly average at them all. You may think that rhythm games would be where my advantage lies, but even there I barely slide down the good end of the bell curve. Kinky. Tom S.'s profession, that an understanding of time signatures would help me with Thumper, only served to twist the failure. I will concede that I can do the plastic guitar games pretty well, but that's a bit of a busman's holiday. So, Father Grudgemus, will you accept my whinging? The question. Which non-gaming proficiency would you translate into gaming skills, and how would that manifest? I've been a religious listener since episode 1, and your 1.5 to 4 weekly hours of PC gaming love are a genuinely positive force in my life. You've given me so much joy, semicolon. If I can ever help out with Crate and Crowbar, do opera or something, I would love to give something <laughs> back. Keep casting them pods. Sam. It's a shame that oh, games sorry. aren't played from the shoulder or, and the I elbow. I was going to say, like, have you tried putting your keyboard under your chin <laughs> out to one side and playing like that. Rub some resin on it. <laughs> yeah. Like with a bow. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. What? You, should play, um, you should play a VR game where you gently saw your own arm off. <laughs> <laughs> great at that. <laughs> Be a master. Surely that would... The risk of creating some kind of strange cognitive nightmare when time <laughs> he's being a professional violinist. Might ruin your violin playing. Yeah. God, yeah. What is a busman's holiday? Um, it's like when a... Uh, I have no idea. I don't know what <laughs> You left right bus- in there, though. A busman's holiday is essentially when you, like, take a break from your day job to do something incredibly similar to your day job. Uh, okay. Yeah, isn't it like a busman driving off on holiday and you're like you're still driving a bus in your own intern I, I assume, assume that's where it that's comes where from, it comes it's, from like when we take the bus. it's like when we take a mid podcast break talk about video games for a bit <laughs> and then switch the microphones back on i see a podcaster's break yeah exactly um i was gonna say um interestingly well i hope interestingly otherwise this is a waste of time <laughs> um <laughs> i uh, 
hopefully on the site on RPS, I have a piece going up where I was talking to uh, a couple of, or one of the researchers behind um, a tool set for improving at esports. This gets more interesting, I promise. (laughs) So essentially they both used to be um, research fellows at NYU. And what they decided to do was try and use neuroscience and sort of improving at particular skills that are, you know, uh, important in competitive video games and then coming up with a way to assess those so that people can then, you know, figure out which elements or which parts of that are, are breaking down and which parts they might need to to practice at and get better at. And so it's only gone into beta today, I think. Um, so it's not something that I can assess, you know, in any meaningful way. And I, I did ask specifically whether there was any research they could link me to that would, that would correlate these things, like whether, because the examples that they gave were about, um, you know, like in sports, the, the idea that someone is fast can be important in a whole bunch of games but like you know uh, and so working on how on your speed or on your efficiency or you know whatever else is useful in in a variety of different spheres you know whether you're playing football or whether you're playing you know rugby or you know whatever else um and but I I'm not I didn't have anything you know in front of me to assess how that applies to you know the the skills that you can measure with regard to gaming but that's the you know that's the theory that they're putting forward is that you know you have all of these neuroscientific skills well neuroscientific ways of measuring and perhaps training these skills and then that that would theoretically or hopefully translate into better technical performance in games and so I'd be interested like I mean it it was just an interesting thing that this person is saying that the that their hard won <laughs> skills in hand eye coordination and you know that that particular way of thinking doesn't translate to games but maybe it would be interesting to like look at cuz the their product is like uh it's called state space um and their first thing is aim lab so it's focusing on like fps's and stuff but like i think maybe it's that stuff like perception isn't being honed in this particular in 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 music you know it's because you you read in a very specific way so Mm. maybe it's that that stuff and like reflex speed is different you know because you're not i i don't know Mm. that would be interesting Sorry, that was that was more interesting in my head. <laughs> we should um, send me the link and put it in the show notes if we want to. I will. It hasn't gone up yet, but anyway, yeah. go up in the future. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But yeah, well, I mean, basically nothing I'm good at in real life translates to being good in games. If you could pick one transferable skill, though, what would it be? Uh, <laughs> echoing silence is this like pick a skill a real life skill that you have that you wish was transferable to games and alright so a skill we do have yeah. that you want to be useful in games well I'm good at driving and directions in real life and in games I'm shit at both 
I think the ability to project my voice is something I wish was useful in games. I wish the <laughs> fact that I could I could project from the diaphragm would like in make Skyrim. Yeah. <laughs> or like <laughs> no like in a multiplayer power. game of some kind. That I just had a greater presence by the fact that I could bellow if I'd used it. That'd be good. <laughs> I wish I could easily edit the games I'm playing to my liking. <laughs> I always have really well, specific game development is yeah, well, my game development skills transfer into playing games. <laughs> I want to be able to just like click on a thing and say no, work this way. <laughs> Modding but easier. <laughs> Tom don't know. I've already figured out the Final Fantasy VII one-handed control systems. I feel like I'm pretty... pretty That's both a real-life skill and a game skill. Yeah. (laughs) Straddling the barrier. Yeah. Pip? What? What skill would you transfer? I just said, like, I wish that my... I wish that my actual proficiency in driving and in directions translated to anything in games. That's true. You've watched me not understand where I'm going in Destiny. Yeah. Because I'm that not was a, reading that was the extraordinary. cues in the same way that you do. <laughs> yeah. Basically, if anyone ever needs a game tested in terms of seeing what can go wrong, yeah. send it to me. <laughs> mm. Don't send it to me. <laughs> I've got no. so much to do. <laughs> okay, next grudge comes from Juice, who writes, Dear Creighton Bumbar. I have a grudge for Pip's grudge book. Oh, Is the that previous, the same as the last one? The previous judge, ju- grudge can go in, by the way. Okay, but mm. what? Was that the same bum intro as the last one? Or was the last one crew bum? <coughs> Hang on. Yes, it was. We have two, <laughs> two Creighton bum bars. Nice. This Good one comes from effort. Juice, who writes, I have a grudge for Pip's grudge book, and my grudge... He'd written dramatic pause. I'm doing it now. Is with you. <laughs> What? I mentioned to the guys on my Discord server the debate about whether replacing words in game names with the word bum was funny. That was more than 24 hours ago. Actually, I feel like I should read this in the voice of like an audio log. <laughs> like, like a system shot. Yeah. That was more than 24 hours ago. They're still going. When they ran out of games to insert bums into, they started bummizing films. <laughs> They've since moved on to putting bums in everything. It's been an almost unbroken stream of bums and it's showing no signs of stopping. <laughs> One guy has even changed his nickname to Dr. Bum. <laughs> it's abominable. <laughs> Thanks. Sincerely, Bum Juice. <laughs> oh no, he grites. <laughs> Look, I think that a lot of people took me trolling... Tom, <laughs> which is essentially what this was, because I saw how much he wasn't enjoying it and really <laughs> doubled down on it, but accidentally seemed to just trigger a, a lot of bum enthusiasm in in other people, as evidenced by the Discord chat that immediately followed that. And I think a lot of people were like, but why does Pip think this is so funny? And it's like... Well, I didn't until the reaction of the people who didn't yeah. think it was funny kicked in. <laughs> and then, like, everybody who kind of, or not everybody, but, like, there seemed to be a very definite, like, wave of activity, which was essentially, I don't know why she thinks this is funny, to then experimenting with adding bum to things and then finding somewhere it did work and then getting gleefully delighted mm. about it. So Yeah, most people are new to this, but a top tip here, top Chris tip is a top Chris Pip tip 
is <laughs> oh don't if if you can tell that Pip's going to find this hilarious, if you're distressed by this, <laughs> don't express how distressed you are by the joke that is unfolding around you because it's not going to get better anytime quick. That's how you almost ended up with a lifelong membership of the Michael Bublé fan club. It is. Which is why I've learned to look impassive and not emote in any way every time you mention that. <laughs> you can't troll you if you don't move. <laughs> exactly. Um, you're going to stay very still and not give it whatever form of satisfaction it happens to be seeking with this particular joke. <laughs> so I figure I'm not going to put it in the grudge book, but I will put it in the grudge bomb. <laughs> the grudge bomb. The grudge bomb can't be a thing. <laughs> What's that or the bum book? <laughs> I'll take bum book. Okay, fine. It's in the bum book. I just don't want to have to say, when someone writes in inevitably to continue this bit, we're stuffing it in the begrudge bum. (laughs) I just don't want to go... I just don't want to take this podcast there. That works. That works. Let's take inventory of the grudge bum. Oh, God. (laughs) Tom is just like, now not looking at me. It's all over. Uh, We have one last grudge. It's not about bums, thank God. Is it not? No, it's not. (laughs) It's from David, who writes, Dearest purveyors of perpetually pleasant pod i bear grudge no often in hitman 2016 an npc will say something like ah yes sir right this way please and agent 47 is then expected to follow at a polite conversational distance a simple enough task if the player is using a controller with an analog stick for input as you can make 47 strut along at any speed you like it's another story if you're using WASD on a keyboard, which, in, in which case, he He's has... WASD on his keyboard. Look. I'm going to say, and in the game here, just so we've finished the, all of the jokes that are about PC games. In which case, he has precisely two speeds, entirely stationary or slightly faster than the NPC's walk. To match the NPC's walking speed, PC players are forced to tap the walk key intermittently, which results in a jilted, limping walk animation that I can only describe as the most suspicious-looking thing ever. (laughs) Your other option is to hold down walk, but run little laps around the person you're following. You know, like a maniac would. (laughs) This might not bother me if the game didn't encourage the art of graceful infiltration. I think there are some genuinely cool moments to be had when you're in disguise and three security clearance levels deep within a heavily guarded compound without having raised so much as an eyebrow of suspicion. (gasps) It's all a bit bubble bursting to then have 47 mints about like an idiot. Is this an issue in many games? This is an issue in many games. That wasn't a question. (laughs) Don't know why I pronounced it like one. This is an issue in many games, David definitely initially wrote. But this one struck me the most. Am I being unreasonable? Should I just buy a controller and sacrifice the precision that a mouse affords? Surely this most PC-centric of pods is the right place to come to commiserate over keyboard-related ambulatory woes. Love the pod. It really is something special. Begrudgingly yours, David. Yeah, I share that scrudge. Um... I have it even on controller, like if pushing a stick all the way is too fast, then holding it at the exact right position is a pain in the ass. Um, there is a game that, that auto-matches you to an NPC speed when you're close enough to them. I was thinking about this, I, I can't, can't remember what it is either. Yeah, it's gonna it wasn't Guild Wars 2, was it? No. See, basically all games need the match speed key from X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. <laughs> like, match, target lock the person you're walking with and engage, <laughs> like... I think The Witcher 3, if you're riding down... Uh, if you're riding behind someone, you move at the same speed. But if you, if you tap the run, the person in front of you also runs faster. Oh. <laughs> really, really weird. Is, kind of was works. it the Assassin's Creed games do this right? 
maybe. Ah, oh, man, there is a game. Ah, oh, I'm thinking Red Dead yeah. Redemption. Red Dead Redemption has a uh, ride with key where mm. you 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 ride with somebody on the horse mm, and you then like, yeah. you yeah. trot along with each other. I think it even maybe goes into like auto horse. <laughs> where, Activate auto horse. Because I mean, that's, you know, horses do. It's funny because like that is one of those classic like real life moderating your walk speed so you walk with the person you're walking with is ex- extremely natural. Yeah. Like it's not something you really think about. Mm. I uh, don't know. I speak as a f- <laughs> five foot woman who dated a six foot four man for a time and there was a certain amount of just every now and again when we were walking down the street, maybe every four or five paces, there was like a little shuffle run that I would do just to <laughs> keep up. <laughs> Need to get you auto horse. Yeah. <laughs> Need just, to get him auto horse. <laughs> Everyone needs auto horse. The conclusion we've come to. Meet in the middle. But yeah. It's dumb to have a system in your game for delivering a story that actively fights the control system you've provided players to experience it with. Just laying it out there. I suppose this is the thing though, because like if you you know, if you alter people's experience of a controller system, then, hmm. you know, that automatically maybe invites confusion or it invites, you know, frustration or especially if it invites you to move slower than usual. I think that's one thing that I that I fight against in games is when it forces me to go slower than I'm used to. Yeah. Thing is, though, that like something a related issue that frustrates me is whenever a game has a character talking to you and you're not sure if going fast outside of the particular corridor that you're in at that moment is going to stop the thing you're listening to. So you mm. stop and listen, oh, yeah. which is something that like Gears awarded really well, where whenever there was like a person talking to you to explain the next mission thing. Uh, your character would put their like finger to the intercom in their into the intercom the the communicator in their ear and walk slower and you could never go so fast that the conversation wouldn't be finished by the time you got to the end of the corridor and if you did stop to have a look around you'd be fine but if you just held down the stick at its furthest extreme and pointed yourself at the next objective the mm. conversation would neatly finish at about the right time mm. which is just a good bit of you know, the thing Tom says, you're not forced to kind of maintain an awkward pace. You're not really forced to think about it. It just sort of happens. Which, if you're going to do that kind of thing, is the right way to do it. Because I hate feeling like, oh, if I run forwards now, yeah, I'm not going to hear the thing or whatever. Mm. Shall I put this in and we can all append our names to it? Because it's a bloody irritation. We've on yeah, all fronts. We'd signed. <laughs> Cosign. Tangent. Lots of tangent. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Maths gags. Mm-hmm. That's all of the maths gags, questions and grudges that we've got time for. If you would like to send us a question or grudge for a future podcast, you can do so by emailing us questions at creightoncrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at creightoncrowbar. Follow us on Twitter there. You can find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash creightoncrowbar. Creightoncrowbar is very, very kindly supported by our Patreon donors who allow us to do the pod and also spin-offs like Miniatures Monthly and the Blood Bomb playthrough. Uh, you can find out more about our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar and hang out with our community, why not, on Discord, which is where they hang out. You'll find the details for that on the website and in the show notes because it's probably an easy way of making a short Discord link, but I sure as fucking hell haven't done it and it's only been 18 months or whatever. But it's great. You should go there. It's one of the best Discord communities I've ever been part of. And inexplicably, it's grown up about something we made. Hey! hey. <laughs> That's the noise that makes us make. You go there and you make that noise as well. If you'd like to follow us as individuals, you can do so. I'm on Twitter at C Thurston. That's C T H U R S T E N. Anyone else? Uh, I. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Frankie Five Fingers. Uh, <laughs> Frankie Five Fingers is uh, Pentadact. P E N T A D A C T. Pip. 
I'm at Philippa Wall, which is P H I L I P P A W A R. Tom S. Uh, at PCG Ludo. I'm mostly tweeting about Destiny these days, though. So that's fine, Tom. Look so am I. So good. I don't tweet about games at all. <laughs> <laughs> Insect pictures all the way down. <laughs> good job, everybody. Yes. And thanks, thanks for listening, listening everybody.